This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Only about 20% of people with disabilities in the U.S. have a job. And some with intellectual and developmental disabilities are paid less than the federal minimum wage. Last week, the Labor Department said it's reviewing the policy allowing that. Judy Woodruff went to Minnesota to learn what the disability community thinks for our series, Disability Reframed. 31-year-old Eric Marshall is into all kinds of sports. But the Gophers are one of his favorite teams. He loves his job greeting and guiding fans at the University of Minnesota football games. Can I please see your ticket? Eric has cerebral palsy and apraxia, which limits his ability to speak. He understands others, but often uses a communication device to express himself. He visited six different employers with his dad before finding this job and earned $17 an hour, like the rest of his co-workers. It was difficult to get the employer to understand the value all I could bring to the job, but I was persistent. It was also hard when changes happened at work, but with patience and training, I was able to succeed. Before this, Marshall worked in what's known as a 14C program, where he was paid below minimum wage to place labels on bags of bagels. In the working out of a great national program... Section 14C of President Franklin Roosevelt's Fair Labor Standards Act made it legal to pay workers with disabilities less than the federal minimum. It was designed to help wounded war veterans get access to jobs. There are now some 42,000 people in 14C work nationwide. The average hourly wage of a person working in the program is $4.15, but more than half earn less than $3.50. It was strange because we'd, you know, we'd get these, these little checks for $0.14, cents, $0.15, cents, you know, things like that, and I'm going, now oh, what is he doing exactly here? Kevin Marshall says while some of his son's first jobs were training opportunities, he was surprised by just how little Eric was earning. I guess the other side of it was that he was uh, ready and able for some more challenges. Essentially, he can't walk or talk, yet he has the ability to get out there and do a job of this structure and type. And it's all about to have the right training and the right supports around him. Supports like his fellow co-workers and job coaches that step in if Eric needs help. Today, almost all 14C workers have an intellectual or developmental disability, and critics have long said no one should be paid that little. Two years ago, the Minnesota State Legislature set up a task force to create a plan to phase out 14C programs while 17 states have taken action to phase out 14C. The issue around increasing wages for people with disabilities is really just a human rights issue. Jillian Nelson was diagnosed with autism when she was 21. Today, she co-chairs Minnesota's task force on eliminating sub-minimum wages, a group that has called for a slow phase out of the 14C program.
When it happens suddenly and without planning, that's when people's lives crumble. It was very important to me to make sure that when Minnesota pursued this, that we had a plan, we had investment, we had support, so that when we ended subminimum wage in Minnesota, everybody was protected. But 200 miles northwest of Minneapolis, in small town Park Rapids, Minnesota, 32-year-old Laura Kovakovich says 14C has been a crucial lifeline. Laura has autism and obsessive compulsive disorder, among other disabilities. Since 2013, she has worked at the barely used thrift store. What do you really love about this job? I love placing and shelving donated items and putting them out on the shelf. Putting them on the shelf? And I sort the items that I call unsellable items. Laura has become an employee the store can count on. She makes around $5 an hour. Laura, if you couldn't do some of the, the jobs that you do now, what would you think about that? How would you feel about that? I'd be very sad if I could no longer work there. I can't and don't want to work in a competitive job in a competitive community because job supervisors who don't understand my disabilities would not know what to do if I get upset or anxious easily. Laura got this job and another one making rugs through the Hubbard County Developmental Achievement Center, or DAC. The nonprofit provides day programs and job services to people with disabilities. Wages here are dependent on productivity levels, a process that is approved by the U.S. Department of Labor. Twice a year, employees undergo a wage review, and the center is also required to talk to them about other employment opportunities. While some workers make below $4 an hour, others will make up to $10.59. Minnesota's minimum wage. After several years on the rug making team, two of which she's worked the loom, Laura began making $10.59 this year. She says the decision to work is all her own. My work, my life, my home, my choice. <laughs> it should be your choice, right? Laura's mother, Dawn Kovakovich, says her daughter requires constant support staff and most competitive work isn't an option for people with severe disabilities. Some of them need diaper changes. Some people need assistance with seizures. Others, like Laura, have to have somebody there every minute in case there's um, an anxiety issue. You can't just stick somebody in a rural community like this in some job and say, well, here, accommodate them. You're not going to find an employer who can handle that. Dawn says without the 14C program, Laura would spend all her time in day services or at home. But Jillian Nelson says under the task force plan, places like the DAC can keep giving people work as long as they're all paid minimum wage. We are not saying anyone has to change where they spend their time or how they spend their time. We don't want to take away the choice. We've provided support for programs to figure out how to change their business model so that they can continue doing things the way they're doing them now, but just paying people more money. But Dawn told us because her daughter's living expenses are covered through Medicaid, that her jobs aren't just about the money. One would think that earning at least the minimum wage would be seen as the fair thing to do, but you're saying that's not right. Fair does not mean 
equal. It does not mean exactly the same for you as it does for me because we have different needs. It's about having the right to work. And I'm all about equal rights. I think everybody has the right to a quality of life and the right to work will be taken away mm -hmm. if we're taking away the sliding wage option. People with disabilities can bring value to your businesses. Back near Minneapolis, Gertrude Matemba Mutasa is the CEO of LifeWorks, a nonprofit that helps people with disabilities find day support services like volunteering and field trips and seek paid work options too. In 2017, LifeWorks came out against 14C and stopped connecting clients to jobs that paid less than minimum wage. 88% of the employers we were working with transitioned to minimum wage and they are thriving. What really made the difference was really making the business case to employers to say think of this as part of your diversity strategy, bringing in diverse employees who are going to have unique life experiences, unique skills and can add a tremendous amount of value. They're not c capable of putting out the job performance that people typically making minimum wage and above are getting. But former business owner and Minnesota State Senator Paul Utke says most employers can't afford that business model. You've got to make things at the end of the day, make things work pay-wise. I mean, what's your output versus your investment? We're all paid for what we can do. Their reimbursement is kind of based on what they're being able to put out. In Minneapolis, Eric works eight hours a week on average and hopes to increase that time. For now, he has a job he loves and a paycheck he says he spends on those who love him. I really like to be able to buy my parents things for their birthdays. It makes me feel proud to provide for my needs. What would you want other people uh, who have disabilities uh, to know? I am sharing my story to help make sure other people with disabilities can find success as well. Don't be afraid. It may take some time, but it is worth it. Just what opponents of 14C programs want to hear, even as some families worry other meaningful jobs for people with disabilities will go away. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Judy Woodruff in Minneapolis and Park Rapids, Minnesota. Today, more than 75,000 healthcare workers with Kaiser Permanente began a three-day strike. What do we want? Fair contract. When do we want it? Now. Nurses, techs, pharmacists, sanitation workers, and others walked off the job in California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington, D.C., all in an effort to pressure their employer over staffing shortages. Union leaders say it is the largest health worker strike in U.S. history. And Kaiser is one of the biggest nonprofit health care providers in the country, serving around 13 million patients. Joining us now is Caroline Lucas, the executive director of the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. Caroline, welcome. Hi, thank you. I mean, Caroline, healthcare workers have been sounding the alarm over short staffing and staffing issues for a long time now. So just tell us, how bad is it? It's really bad. I don't know if the general public understands 
just how short-staffed and burned out the average frontline healthcare worker is. I know we, you know, read articles about healthcare workers leaving the field, but what folks aren't uh, understanding necessarily is that that means that the people who are left behind, folks who by and large showed up every day, day and night throughout the pandemic to provide care, are left working double shifts. We have many members working 10, 20, 30 hours a week of overtime. And people are really, really just maxed out. I mean, Kaiser has suggested and said that it's close to reaching a goal of hiring 10,000 more people in roles by the end of this year to fill vacancies. Is that sufficient to solve the problem or what's your response to that? You know, it's a great first step towards a potential solution. But what we are asking for is a comprehensive solution on the short staffing crisis. What Kaiser executives haven't done is figured out the bigger picture on how to solve the short staffing crisis. Do you have concerns about how with more than 75,000 healthcare workers out on strike, it might impact patient care moving forward during this three-day strike? You know, we provide 10 days notice of intent to strike, both because it's a legal obligation for a healthcare workforce, and also because it's an ethical obligation to ensure that Kaiser executives have the time to figure out staffing coverage. We know they bring in much more expensive outside contingency staff to help staff the facilities. And we think it's an unfortunate band-aid solution to this problem that could have been solved a different way, but does meet you know, the temporary three-day timeframe staffing needs. Obviously, this is one in a number of labor strikes that we have seen across industries across the country. Are you heartened by, say, the success of the writer's strike, which recently ended? I am, on one hand, heartened by the success of the writer's strike, um, and on the other hand, just saddened that our country has come to the point where so many workers have to take the ultimate action to get needs met, like wages that keep up with the cost of living, the ability to afford to live in the areas where you work. Those sorts of basic demands should not necessitate a strike to resolve. We should just be in a country that says, you know what, healthcare workers are some of the most valuable jobs that there are in our country in terms of service to the broader community. We need to make sure these folks can afford to not work 10, 20, 30 hours a week of overtime and two jobs just to pay their bills. And Caroline, I do want to ask you at this point, where are talks between workers and Kaiser Permanente? Are you all still at the bargaining table? Oh, we are still here. We've been here 24 hours a day, catching naps on couches in the hotel lobby and conference rooms. We are continuing to meet. We've been grateful to have the Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue, here for the last uh, 24 hours or so to help try to bring the parties together. So we've been grateful to, to have that guidance and support. We are continuing to meet because this crisis is too important to not get right. That's Caroline Lucas, the executive director of the Coalition of Kaiser Permanente Unions. Caroline, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Kaiser hasn't commented to the press since early this morning before the strike began when they said, in part, quote, we remain committed to reaching a new agreement that continues to provide our employees with market-leading wages, excellent benefits, generous retirement income plans, and valuable professional development opportunities. Why haven't you learned anything? The pandemic worsened a long-standing education problem, a shortage of qualified teachers in districts across the nation. But the problem is especially bad for rural states in the Rocky Mountain West. And now some schools in Montana are turning to virtual teachers to fill the gap, as Montana Public Radio's Austin Amistoy reports. 
The town of Florence, population 805, sits nestled along a highway in Montana's scenic Bitterroot Valley. In this low-ceilinged classroom at Florence Carleton High School, 18 pre-calculus students pull out identical black laptops and start logging in. Okay, so very first thing I want you to do is check your email. Aide Christine Abbott is not teaching the class. She's there to monitor the students while they watch lessons, practice problems, and take tests and quizzes on their computers. Check your email, right? It's our only form of communication with MTDA, right, and your teacher. For the first time, some Florence Carlton High School math classes are being taught by virtual teachers provided by the state-funded Montana Digital Academy. Classes like pre-calculus and geometry had always been taught by in-person teachers at the school. That was before this year, when Principal Scott Marsh couldn't find a qualified candidate to fill an open math position. It's not the parents' first choice. It's not the students' first choice. It's not the administrators' first choice. Nobody's first choice is online learning, especially math. Florence Carleton is one of at least 10 schools in Montana relying on the state's online learning program to fill teaching positions, the most the state's ever seen. It's one symptom of an unprecedented nationwide crisis of teacher recruitment and retention. Data from the National Teacher and Principal Survey show Montana schools are struggling to fill nearly 60 percent of open jobs. Sixteen other states, including North Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, and Nebraska, report hiring struggles in more than half of their teaching vacancies. Schools nationwide are increasing class sizes, canceling courses, hiring underqualified staff, and turning to virtual learning to cope with the crisis, says Tara Kinney with the education research group, the Learning Policy Institute. None of that is good for kids' learning. These students are our future, and getting qualified teachers in front of those students right now, I think, needs to be a state priority. The teacher shortage is fueled by fewer people entering the field, high turnover among new teachers, and in some states, low pay or stagnant wages. Despite an effort by state lawmakers to raise new teachers' salaries, Montana still ranks last in the nation in starting teacher pay. Montana's $33,000 a year starting pay is nearly $10,000 short of the national average. For many Florence Carleton High School administrators and students, this is a painful flashback to the struggles of online learning during the pandemic. Junior Millie Shep, who's taking pre-calculus online, says she'd much rather take math from a teacher in person. She's worried about keeping her grade high enough to play soccer. She's really heartbreaking, and honestly, I was super bummed because math is definitely not my strongest thing, and... Having to hear us online and seeing all my smartest friends struggle is just really deteriorating. Researchers have found that students who spent more time learning online during the pandemic performed far worse on math and English tests than those with more in-person instruction. Recent data indicates scores are recovering in Montana, but Florence Carleton High School principal Scott Marsh is worried his math students may fall behind. But our mindset has to change to where kids are like, all right, yes, this isn't ideal, but it's what we have. You know, it's what we were dealt, and let's figure out how to deal with it. Marsh says the school will provide as much support for the students as possible while they search for a permanent in-person math teacher. For NPR News, I'm Austin Amistoy in Florence, Montana. We had Omega Foods right here. I mean, it was first class. It was like Kroger and all the rest of them, Safeway and all the rest of them. It was black-owned. It lasted about four years. Wow. I mean, and it was it was first class. I went in the store. I mean, the fruit and everything was all fresh. There wasn't no run-down place. I mean, you know, polished floors, counters, everything. Everything spotless. Fluorescent lamps. The whole nine yards. 
That place lasted four years. Mm. Called Mega Foods, M-E-G-A, over on 8th Street here in northeast Washington. Nobody even remembers it now. It, it didn't stay there long enough to even be remembered at all. They hired black people and whatnot, school children and whatnot. But, hey, black people didn't have no money. This is St. Louis Public Radio. Fields Foods locations popped up around St. Louis in the past decade, promising to bring healthier food to parts of the region without quality grocery stores. Now, the local grocer's future is in question, with all of its locations currently closed. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt spoke with Raphael Tomadson, a professor of marketing at Washington University, about some of the business challenges the store faced. I think one issue Fields Foods had is it's not clear that the product that they were offering really matched the areas they were moving into, as noble as the cause was. Can you explain a little bit of the economics of grocery stores? What makes them unique businesses to run? Grocery stores are a very low margin business. It's a pretty competitive industry. There's a lot of different stores filling in a lot of different niches. You have the healthy niche with like Whole Foods. You have the dollar stores that have smaller assortment, but usually at a little bit of a cheaper price. And then you have kind of the conventional grocery stores in between. And many of the products within each of those tiers are very similar to each other. So it's very competitive. And so there's only a few ways you can get competitive advantage. One is to have a lot of stores in the area to get economies of scale. Another is to kind of cut back on the amount of variety you offer because managing more products is more expensive than managing fewer products. What makes bringing healthy food into food deserts or lower-income or impoverished areas difficult? To begin with, there's an issue of kind of demand and supply, and many of these areas that don't have grocery stores just don't have very much demand. And you add on top of it that grocery stores are typically a fairly low-margin business, it can be very hard to run a grocery store to begin with. When you say demand, what does that mean? Uh, when I say demand, what I really mean is, are there enough people in the local area who want healthier foods, for example, who want bigger variety of foods to support the cost of providing those additional products? What I hear from that is demand isn't necessarily somebody stepping up and saying what they want or what they need, but actually how they end up spending their money. That's exactly right. It's about how people spend the money. So sometimes people want things, but they don't want to pay for it, which, by the way, is a true preference, <laughs> but unfortunately not an economically viable one. Part of the problem of capitalism is that in many aspects, we're really beholden to kind of where the mass of consumers are and there's always going to be some people who want healthier foods and who want more variety. But if not enough people are willing to kind of pay the prices that are needed to support those additional options, then unfortunately it's not economically viable. What are some of the challenges or considerations to make when trying to maintain that business moving forward? Because that's the second part of this equation on top of opening up a place. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a mistake that policymakers can make trying to focus on opening the stores. Really, the problem of economics is long-term profits. Is there enough 
demand to offset the costs, which are very high costs. In the end of the day, we don't really want to come hard on people who are trying out new things in our economy. We see businesses fail all the time. I think that's a good sign because if you don't have failure, you don't have innovation, you don't have people trying things. Maybe the next time around, the next grocery store that opens up will take this as an example and say, here's how we're going to be different this time and we're going to learn from what has happened in the past. Yeah, I do hope it's a lesson. Instead of kind of thinking that they did harm, I certainly think that we should applaud them for trying to do something good for the community and hope that the next person also steps up and tries things. I'm Marty Moscow-Wayne. Welcome to The Connection. Our guest, social psychologist Robert Livingston, is an optimist. He writes in his book, The Conversation, that racial equity is an achievable goal. More than that, he finds it's overwhelmingly supported by the public who say that equal rights, quality education, and economic opportunity are good for the country, good for everyone. He also writes a conversation is the most powerful way to build knowledge, awareness, empathy, and ultimately affect change. So if all of that is true, why haven't we made more progress bringing diversity, equity, and inclusion on the job? DEI programs and trainings at the workplace have come under fire, with critics saying that rather than bringing people together, they can drive them apart, exacerbating divisions and conflicts. Robert Livingston is a Harvard social psychologist who works with companies and nonprofits about how to create equity and inclusion in our increasingly diverse workforce. And Robert Livingston, nice to have you with us on The Connection. Nice to be here today, Marty. Well, let's start with a broad-based question. What does an inclusive, equitable, diverse workplace look like? And even more than that, what does it feel like? Mm, good questions. So I'll, I'll sort of unpack that because I think people often conflate diversity, equity, and inclusion, but in reality, they're three very different things. And so, you know, diversity refers to the diverse representation, typically of underrepresented, traditionally underrepresented groups in the organization. So, you know, if you watch Mad Men or you lived mm -hmm. in the 1950s, you would have noticed there was very little diversity. Uh, the workplace, uh, especially the white collar workplace, was largely white and largely male. There were a few women, people of color, LGBTQ. Uh, there was little representation of diverse individuals. Um, but, you know, diversity is not an add and stir sort of thing. Um, you have to make sure that the environment is right um, so that they're included. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I went to the pet store and I would see these colorful fish and I would say, you know, I want Nemo. You know, I want these sort of clownfish and things. And my parents told me, no, we have a salt, a freshwater tank. You can't put saltwater <laughs> fish in a freshwater tank. And I think that's kind of the the notion of inclusion, right? It's, it's you know, we want these colorful fish, these beautiful, colorful fish, but we have to make sure that the environment is right for them to thrive. And then equity is making sure that people are represented at all levels of the organization. Typically what you see in organizations is lots of representation of women and people of color in entry level positions or in menial jobs, the janitorial staff, uh, cleaning staff, um, food service, those sorts of things, but you don't see very much diversity in the C-suite. 
So all of those things, I think, have to work together in order to create uh, the kind of workplace that um, will produce the kinds of benefits that diversity is known for bringing, such as increases in uh, innovation, creativity, higher performance, et cetera. Again, it's not just an ad stir. Sure. You have to make sure you have the inclusion and the equity. And I do want to get to all of that. I, I mentioned the 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 critics, the backlash, frankly, to some of these DEI programs. Do you understand that? Where that's coming from? Yeah, go ahead. I do. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, you, one simple answer is self-interest, right? If people see the world as a zero-sum game and, you know, my power depends on you not having power and I value power, then I don't want to share. So, um, you know, if you're a member of a group that has traditionally occupied 100% of all Fortune 500 positions, for example, and now 10% of those are going to women and people of color, you see that as as an encroachment on your on your right, your entitlement to to hold power. So I I, I understand from a, a rational standpoint, uh, somewhat resistance to it, but from another rational standpoint, right when the tide rises, all ships rise with it. And there have been lots of arguments made for why greater diversity benefits everyone, including members of traditionally dominant groups. So, but but I do on the surface understand people's mm-hmm. response to it, and I think people are also worried about things like. You know, quality. If we if we lean too much on diversity, does, does this mean we're not selecting the best candidates? So I think there've been all sorts of um, reasons proffered. S- s- some genuine, some uh, not so genuine. Uh, but but yeah, on on some level, I can't understand it. Sure. I mean, it's it's tricky stuff. I wonder though if you need basically buy-in. If a, if a company or a nonprofit wants to address a problem that they think exists within the organization. And I think you were talking about white men, so let's just put it out there on the table. You know, if 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 through the these various programs you feel like I am gonna lose some status, I'm gonna lose some authority, um, you know, I'm I'm not a racist, I'm a good person, uh, but nonetheless, you know, I'm I'm the bad guy in this scenario. How do you how do you address that? Yeah, so so two things, you know, one is I think you do have to get buy-in. Um, directives that are handed down from the top often become stagnated in what we call the frozen middle, right? That, that you get middle managers that just won't implement it because they don't understand with it, they don't agree with it, they see it as threatening, often they see it as, as being in conflict with their own professional goals and the metrics and the numbers they have to produce. There's all kinds of issues there. But I think it's important to get buy-in and not just to generate appeasement. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a difference between those two. I think buy-in is when people genuinely internalize and intrinsically support and understand what you're trying to do. And they're on board, either because it's consistent with their values, it's consistent with the company's mission and core values. Appeasement is when you really want to maintain the hierarchy, but you give them just a little crumbs to keep them quiet. And I think, unfortunately, appeasement is a lot more common, that lots of people pretend to want to implement change and they do little things, you know, sort of virtue signaling that they can point to to say, look, you know, we've got a token. We've got this one black woman. And and, and there's research that shows that by doing that, you have these moral credentials that frees you up to never hire another black woman again, because you can always say, hey, you remember? Uh, there Sally she Jenkins is, right? 
there she is. You know, you can't say I'm a, I'm a sexist. You can't say I'm a racist because she's there. So I think that's performative and that's very different than, than what I call real buy-in, which is where you understand and support the mission and you're not just um, engaging in behaviors that will keep the critics uh, and, 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 and crowds at bay um, in, in their demands for equality. Well, l- let me follow up then. I was thinking about beliefs, and, and you write quite a bit about people's beliefs that are based on, you know, their childhoods or their experiences or their biology. I mean, there's so much at play that, that mm-hmm. really uh, creates and, and reinforces the things that we believe in. Um, is the goal then to change people's beliefs or is it to change behavior? Uh, so if we had a pill and if it were easy to do, <laughs> let's start with beliefs. Right? Sure. Let's, let's, yeah. Let's, take that little uh, red pill. Know, like, exactly. There we go. But, you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, sometimes you have to fake it before you make it. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, I tend to focus on behavior or what we call discrimination rather than attitudes or prejudice. For one thing, it's a lot harder to change attitudes than it is to change behaviors. So, you know, imagine you hate Brussels sprouts, but you learn that Brussels sprouts are so good for you that it'll reduce your risk of cancer to zero, right? Hypothetical situation. But you hate Brussels sprouts. Well, it's a lot easier to force yourself to eat Brussels sprouts than it is to like Brussels sprouts. We don't really have a lot of control over visceral gustatory processes. It's, it's a lot harder to change your internal states than your behaviors. But in that example, if you eat Brussels sprouts enough, you'll actually grow to like them. <laughs> it's an acquired taste, right? And if you think about beer, no one likes it the first time they drink it, but you drink it enough and you're like, this is pretty good mm-hmm. after the 50th sip. So I think um, a lot of these intergroup attitudes work the same way. And there's a lot of research on contact and on things that even if they're uncomfortable at first, with over time, they become less uncomfortable and they actually change not only behaviors, but attitudes. So in short, I believe in attitude change, but I think it has to start with behavioral change. Well, and going from, let's say, Brussels sprouts to, to black people, that sounds really weird to, <laughs> to say that, but let's say. Brussels sprouts to black people. Weird, that for sure is one way to describe it uh we do have that one colored boy who for years is it metaphors no metaphors if we're being serious talking about white supremacy racism and solving this problem no i don't say i don't like metaphors i just say hey we lose a lot of the precision when we are talking about white supremacy racism when we get into all of these metaphors and similes analogies comparisons brussels i'm i'm pretty familiar with the old brussels sprouts i've never 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 purchased prepared eaten brussels sprouts and though hmm these old brussels sprouts they they remind me of the Negro. Everybody hates Brussels sprouts. Ugh, they don't want to eat it. Children despise them. You have to trick them into eating it. You know, we're kind of intolerant of the Brussels sprout. It's just like the, the plight of the Negro. I've never, I've never, 
I've never had that thought. Be truthful, I don't even think you can trade a barrel of Brussels sprouts for a Negra. I mean, truthful, you get the organic, you seen the purple ones? The purple Brussels sprout, you seen those? You gotta go to like, uh, they talked about Whole Foods. I guess you can't go to the uh, Fields Foods because they're closed down in the Missouri area. So PCC, Sprouts, wherever you go that's open, they got quality produce. You seen the purple Brussels sprouts? You get you a barrel of organic purple Brussels sprouts. I wouldn't trade one nigra for a barrel of organic purple. You get one of the leftovers, what have you. Get one of the old broken down, like, yeah, you get old, get old Leroy in the back. Yeah, he's about 80. Can't do two. Yeah, you get Leroy, one barrel of Brussels. Those are valuable, expensive. You don't get no 15 nigras for a barrel of organic purple Brussels sprouts. Weekly broadcast neutralizing workplace racism. No metaphors. Today's date, Friday, October 6, 2023. So I have been told. Our weekly forum on neutralizing workplace racism. Hopefully we do a lot better. A lot more precise than cliches, metaphors, rhetoric, suggestions, things non-white people, victims of white supremacy can do in their workplace situation, minimize some of their problems, maybe nip some of these problems in the bud before they begin. Be proactive, as they say, preempt a race soldier or a confused non-white person who might be trying to cause problems in the workplace. Stop all of that. Hopefully we give specific tips. Broadcast not for spectators. Especially you got some Russell Sprout tips. Lima bean suggestions. The number to dial 605-313-5164 The code 564 Nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Number again six zero five three one three five one six four the code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate. Email until justice at gmail.com. Few things. Make sure I get my finances of the Brussels sprouts. I think actually the purple Brussels sprouts would be worth lots of Negroes. It's not one old. They would be worth, you could probably get about 15 Negroes. That would be it. You'd get Neely Fuller Jr. and Dr. Welsing. Well, she got in the D.C. area. You can get about 15 more. I got a whole barrel on Brussels sprouts. That's clear out the plantation. We got all the Brussels sprouts from Dr. Robert Livingstone. Now, this is a black male. I'm reading directly from his Harvard profile. Dr. Livingston is a social psychologist and leading expert on the science underlying bias and racism in organizations. 
Prior to joining the Harvard Kennedy School in 2015, he held positions as an assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin, Ooh, Jeff Dahmer, associate professor at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management and professor of organizational behavior at the University of Sussex, where he was also area chair and founder and faculty director of the Center for Leadership, Ethics, and Diversity lead. Dr. Livingston is also a practitioner whose passion is the application of social psychological theory and research to solving real-world organizational and societal challenges. For two decades, he has served as a diversity consultant for scores of Fortune 500 companies, public sector agencies, and nonprofit organizations. His Harvard Business Review article, How to Promote Racial Equity in the Workplace, was the winner of the 2020 Warren Bennis Prize awarded to the best article on leadership published in HBR each year. This article was also included in the HBR at 100, a book showcasing the most influential and innovative articles published in Harvard Business Review over the last century. That right there, more credentials and accomplishments than 50 Gus T. Renegades. All of that said, the segment that we heard, the last one, Brussels sprouts, uh, Mr. Excuse me, pardon, pardon, Dr. Robert Livingston, he was discussing his new book, The Conversation, How Seeking and Speaking the Truth About Racism Can Radically Transform Individuals and Organizations, published in February of 2021. Victims Guaranteed Qualified, VGQ. When I played and was listening to that, once again, Harvard Business Review, anytime they have something talking about racism, I dust my shoulders and feel way better about our work at neutralizing workplace racism. And specifically with this segment, just note again, victims guaranteed qualified. Dr. Livingston has his book, said what he said, doing his thing. Spectacular 2024 in store for him, I am sure. But wow. That right there is one of many reasons why we are white guests only. Not going to sit here and squabble, argue with another victim of racism and even try and unpack because at the very beginning he was given out, you know, this is where the book came from and blah, 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 and all the rest of it. He says that or at the beginning of the interview with Dr. Livingston, they said the overwhelming overwhelming support from the public or excuse me so-called diversity and justice and all that in the workplace is overwhelmingly supported by the public now I don't know who you're talking about when you say public do you mean people that live in the US so-called if that is the case that statement is not true at all you'd have to show data Here, same thing I would say to a white person what you know did you do a poll on this you talk to people you have no reason to think that they're you know being untruthful with all the cronyism and nepotism and cheating that goes on colleges workplaces in this part of the world and beyond 
fake records. You can't even go get medical college reports without we got to scrutinize. Is this some made up old nonsense and all the rest of it? What evidence is there that the overwhelming majority of the public, they support justice in the workplace based on what? We can't even get just wages and we're almost at 2025. So based on what? That would be one and the rest. It would just go uh, from there because there was so much jargon, uh, the diversity and inclusion and equity and affect change. And oh, God, I mean, just are we being see? Are you just putting all the little catchphrases together that white people say this is an acceptable way to discuss white supremacy racism even when they slip into it it's uncomfortable for you to have women you mean white women and non-white people in the workplace that's what you're talking about even that like eh, I don't think so I don't think they're really that bothered about white women being in the workplace and even the discussions we've had about affirmative action over the past summer like oh my gosh with the same thing with all the cheating uh, that goes on in there like none of this is really about so-called meritocracy and all that it's just about lying and commitment to white supremacy racism we're not interested in having qualified competent non-white people especially if they're black not interested in having them in the workplace he says uh, and then when he talks about all this so-called diversity and equity the whole time I was thinking like man you come into a school or workplace with this book Dr. Livingston you would be on the banned book list buddy that's what I'm thinking like where are you going exactly where you think they're going to have this book and yeah we're going to you know do it up this way I know they said he worked for a number of fortune 500 companies and all of that apparently none of that has produced we got loads of black people employed and working high levels of these fortune 500 like get out of here please please go to New York so we tied the report from last week black males can't get a job in New York go to New York and let's talk some diversity we got to look out for our colored brothers. They're struggling out here. Come on. Eric Adams can't do it all by himself. Let's pitch in. Yeah. 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 That Al Sharpton still got on. Why don't you dump this on old Reverend Al? See if he'll help out his cousins. That's about what I would expect. Not we're all in this together and all that. Let's let's sit down and have roasted Brussels sprouts together and talk it out. Like what? What? Anyway, uh, the, the victims guaranteed qualified, but that is why white guests only even. And in fact, within all that, they put it off on white dudes again, white male patriarchies, white male patriarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they put it off all on them. And they say, while he's being interviewed, he said, well, you seem, you know, you being interviewed or seems like talking about uh, white men. Just put that out there. <laughs> you got it like. Yes, white people, white women and white men, they would be the source of the problem if we're talking about non-white people not getting jobs in the workplace. Yes, that's who we'd be talking about. Even that can't even say that. Can't upset what. Got it. Most of us can't talk about racism, white supremacy in a way that will upset individuals classified as white. Got it. Next. Uh, oh, and make sure I get my correction in. That report was actually not from Harvard Business Review. 
although it seems there's a connection there. That report was from Philadelphia Public Radio, Radio WHYY uh, this week, not Boston Public Radio. Strive for accuracy. Now, uh, number two. The strike, or the first report that we heard about the disabilities, that reminded me of Dr. Tommy J. Curry, uh, This Nigger's Broken. Uh, it's an essay that he wrote about the specific racism against black males with a disability. I thought about that report in detail while they were playing all that and talking about how people on these 14C status uh, in the workplace, uh, where they have some sort of disability, but they don't, they're not paid the same way as regular employees. That is why, especially with all of the inflation and what have you to make that small amount of money, like, wow. Then my overriding thought as it continued was, man, they just have very recently, like in the past few days, been saying that they suspect by 2035, 65% of jobs are going to be automated. There is no way I can think of where there's going to be a meaningful effort to sustain employment opportunities for individuals, especially if they're major disabilities where you might need someone to come in and be with them and help make sure they get through the workday or get their diaper changed and all of that, which totally legitimate. But I mean, the people that do not have any of those needs, many of them are going to be running out of job options over the next few days and years. So, I mean, man, I do not know what that, you know, portends for the future, but I mean, that is something that they have been saying. If that's true, the robots are mixing drinks and everything else, buddy. World with job jobs. What does that look like? Uh, So Kaiser, the employees are going on strike. When I, I guess when this first came to my attention, it was in California. And I think they, you know, they did mention California. I thought this was just like a California thing where workers there were saying that they were not being treated well and they were going to make sure that they got all of the benefits and resources that they needed. And yes, this might impact patient care, but hey, you got to take care of the workers so they can take care of the patients. Total logic. Nationwide, like all the Virginia and in between, like, whoa. Whoa, I did not still learning. Guess that's why you check the news. But that was not my understanding at all that that was going to be so widespread uh, with Kaiser. And then they're saying it might even reach out to other healthcare providers. Wow. Uh, I, hey, I have been saying you should think, take that in mind because they got all these shortages and what have you. And all through the pandemic period, you've had healthcare workers saying, oh, my God, the treatment has been awful. And they got these grueling hours and we can't get PP, uh, PPE, the equipment and everything to stay safe. And all the rest of it just been horrible. Had that from the beginning and then the shortages of staff and all the rest of it. That's not even getting the compensation. You get to the people that are not like doing uh, plastic surgery, you know, and all the rest of it. White people, white physicians where they can command all these big salaries and such. So. Man, I, oof, that would be something to think about as they try and fill all these uh, shortages and the silver tsunami of aging white people that need care. Oof. Think about that in detail. What is my you know, career and quality of work life going to be like 
once I'm a doctor or physician or nurse, whatever I'm trying to be, like, am I going to have to go on strike two or three times because they're treating us terrible? Man. Uh, let's see. The shortest, shortest number two, virtual teachers in Montana. Lord, I don't have children. I, man, uh, it would be so much to like process and think about. Do they have a teacher shortage here? Is our child even going to get in physical? I mean, much less racist woman and all the rest of it. Are they going to have some sort of bot teaching them math? Like, oh my God, like what? And they can't even say, hey, this is the smartest bot you've ever seen, Gus. Back down. You can't do no arithmetic like this. You can't even spell arithmetic. Sit down. Look here. This, but they didn't even say that. They said, hey, it's not optimal. Not our first choice. Not the child's best choice. Make do with what we got. Like, wow. What? Wow. Now, how long is that supposed to go on? Where we can't even find anybody that's qualified to teach the math class. And then now, keep in mind, they have already said math, English scores, big hit during the Rona. Don't know if they've rebounded yet. Wow. It might become a regular thing that there are so many deficiencies you don't have enough qualified teachers to actually teach a class we all gotta get bots to learn English wow when you play around with sex the joke is on the offspring is that anybody else we have anybody in a jurisdiction where they are so short on teachers that they got to use some sort of bot to teach the class let us know like man I know we don't have tons of niggers in Montana but still uh, and then the last segment was the oh no we had the fields foods we had the fields foods uh, I'll just say briefly Raphael Tom 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 it's done my apologies T H O M A S T O T-H-O-M-A-D-S-E-N. Tom Adson, maybe? Tom Madsen? We'll take that. Raphael Tom Madsen. Uh, he said that the reason Fields Foods, all of their locations in the Missouri area in the so-called food deserts, Negro land, they closed because he started off the product didn't match the areas where they were moving into. I wish the interviewer had asked, break that down. What does that mean? And he said, you know, they went on more. People were saying that they wanted healthier foods and does that match what people actually buy and they're expensive. I think that was another report where the term racism was never used, which might more so than capitalism get at why people might not have the money to buy those nice, expensive purple Brussels sprouts that are worth about 15 negras. I don't have enough money to buy those. So we get the Funyuns. And we might verbalize that we want the purple Brussels sprouts. And they bring them here. And then we see the price. Like, Whoa, my God. Get the purple Brussels sprouts and we won't have any more money for the rest of the month. Yes, yes. We just get the Funyuns. White supremacy racism at work. Yes, Mr. Fuller said, I've seen this before. Washington, D.C. Yes, Mega Foods. Same thing. Same thing. Number is 
564-564-9043-POUND. Press star 61. If you would like to participate, email is untiljustice at gmail.com. Definitely let us know if they got robot teachers in your child's jurisdiction. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary to share, line should be open. Can I be heard? Bay Area mom. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for taking my call. Greetings to you all. Um, so the Kaiser strike, um, that it, it has kind of affected us too. It's, it's a lot of, uh, um, well, not I, when I say us, I just mean the people in California because we rely on um, Kaiser this way, uh, the San Francisco way. So um, they're just standing out there, uh, you know, picketing or whatever. It's 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 interesting because they are replaceable, the the people that are picketing, and you can get more of those workers, what is it, 75,000 out on strike, you can get more. You can replace those workers. So, hmm, I wonder. I, I just, I, I don't, I'm sure they may, if they feel like it, uh, appease them for a minute. But in a, after a while, I don't think these strikes are going to work at Kaiser and think you're going to get anything. I think they probably get fired or replaced or something like that. I don't think, I think strikes are going to, yeah, not exist after a while. So that's just my thought with these hospital strikes and so forth. If they're replaceable, you can just replace them with these students coming out of school or people that, you can replace these people. Um, the virtual, um, what was that, in Montana, the, uh, <laughs> the poor children, because they don't have enough um, teachers, they have to uh, have virtual instruction and a security teacher to make sure that they're paying attention, they're focused, versus doing something else on the Internet. Um, I think that's what's going to happen a lot of places soon. Um, and they're going to have a monitor to monitor and make sure these beings are following instructions on the computer screen. Um, I don't know when, but I do believe that's going to replace a lot of these teachers as well. So they're allowing them to do whatever. You can hire anybody for a while and pretty soon you're going to notice a lot of virtual reality teachers. And it may be in the means of we can't find anybody. We can't find anybody. So now we just have to do this. I think um, also they make it uncomfortable for the teachers to work in one fashion or another because of whatever the agenda that you have with the kids. The curriculum is different. They have this uh, it's as if they're gearing the children to work 
from the computers. I know I may say this, uh, I may have said this before because I didn't get it. I didn't know this. I didn't understand, um, that the direction of the school system. I didn't understand that they were doing this to the children. So it's just strange for me and sad because why are you gearing education toward the, the child said that she, she was, um, she couldn't, um, it was, it was hard for her to learn, um, her, um, I think it was math, math or English, whichever one. It was hard for her to um, learn it. Yeah, she was struggling with math. So it was hard for her to really grasp the concept with doing it online versus an actual being in front of you one-on-one to give you that assistance. Um, Because it's so complicated dealing with a, a computer device like that. You get whatever it does to you staring at it for so long versus being in person. Um, and um, a lot of them are even failing online. But I think they're going to, by the time they get this new generation in, they'll be, they'll be conditioned to this style of learning. So by the time they implement it for, if, you know, the new way we're going to do education, they'll already be programmed on how to do it, and it'll just be normal for the generation that's going to really be born into this system. I just believe, because what did you say? You said 65% of the um, jobs are going to be automated in 35 so that's not a long time for me. So that's the kids right now. You get them ready for whatever. They'll be ready for this automated life. And then the ones that the broken Negroes, <laughs> you could, I don't know, give them some weed and video games and let them sit at home. I don't know what they're going to do with the disabled children yet, but. They said 75% of the boys, not on here, would be on the spectrum by 2025. So, I I don't know. It's something about, it's a reason why this is going like this. It's, It's a reason why. That's all. I don't know the reason. That's why I sound so confused all the time. But I'm thinking. So to go into my workplace racism, I think like that because now all of a sudden I'm noticing the teachers in special day are trying to get these kids ready to do some kind of testing online. And they're not ready. They can't even read the questions to answer the questions online. So it's not even fair or balanced for the children because a lot of them don't even understand what you want them to do. So they're guessing. And they don't guess. Well, what do you want me to do? I don't know anything. You didn't teach me anything last year or year before. So now that 
they have to, the teachers are under pressure. So um, with them being under pressure, they're pressuring the children to learn stuff that they don't know how to learn because you've wasted so much time not teaching them anything because they're broken. I don't know. Um, I, even in with math, I got, yesterday I was in a meeting and a teacher told me, <laughs> asked me because it was a meeting about me. He asked if, I guess it was one of the issues or concerns or something. His, he wanted me to, um, not, uh, when the kids are testing, don't help them understand how to do the problem. Just read the problem to them. So, but if I don't help them, I mean, I'm not fighting it. I said, okay, but I'm just talking to you all. If I don't help them understand the problem, it's not a balanced test because they don't know what you want. It just doesn't seem It's fine. I just, I didn't, I didn't fight. I said, okay, I'll do that because he said that their test scores were high. They were very high when I was helping them. And um, he thanked me for helping this other girl because I'm not supposed to be doing anything but with this one kid. But he thanked me for helping the other girl. Um, but he just said, don't do that during the test. And I was like, okay, I can. Do that, you know, and I don't know what I don't know that they're trying to. I'm just finding out all this stuff as I'm being there. I don't know that they're trying to gear these kids to uh, be able to function uh, with instruction online. I, I'm not, dear. So I said, okay, I'll do that. Um, so that's fine. I won't interject with tests, but anyway. Since I'm at the meeting, um, another thing he said was, um, because I guess he called the, no, the behavioralist called the meeting because this, everybody, she told me yesterday, everybody's watching me. Everybody noticing me. Everybody sees me. Everybody's watching me. So with all that watching, I'm in a meeting after school yesterday. Another thing that he asked for me not to do is talk to her, the person that called the meeting, <laughs> about anything that he does if I could talk to him first, if I have any concerns, because he can, he can you know, if it, he could correct it or do something about it or something like that, if I could just go to him, just like when I told him that he needed to, put the, you know, let me help with the child and put him in the front of the class and, you know, a few other accommodations. And he said he did it in his work. I mean, I know. But if I would just do that instead of calling her. But I didn't call her. I report to her every week because she comes up there every week and I have to do data. So she comes every week at lunchtime to take up 30 minutes of my time to talk to her about the child and whatever they're talking about me about. 
and not saying to me. So, and this is not normal. I only meet with her every other week, but now I meet with her every week. So, um, and I asked about it. She said she would be doing this until it calms down. So now I get to calm down because these teachers are everywhere and watch me. Everybody's watching me in real life. You could tell everybody's watching me. It's, it's, it's entertaining. Um, He, I said I would do it, you know, um, but like I said, when I'm talking, I'm giving, I have to give my data. So I have to ask me, what? well, I can't do anything. So my thing was, I can't do anything because they won't allow me to work with the one-on-one. I'm doing other things, especially in particular this class, I'm doing everything but dealing with this one. So... I have to say, well, I don't know because I have, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. So, um, that's what's actually happening. So I'm just reporting that. So then she does whatever she does with the information that she's typing, whatever. So that's how it gets back. It's not as if I'm telling on anybody. I'm just reporting what I'm doing, how I'm dealing with whatever. I'm just reporting. So he, um, also stated that, um, he wouldn't know what he knows without me because I instantly come in and do what I have to do with him and it works. And I taught him how to understand how to do his math. And I did because I have to, because I, he won't have me. He'll only have me for this year, this, his, this sixth grade school year. And they want to take me off like yesterday because they want me to do some other stuff with God knows what. And man, God, so the meeting was after school for two thirty, but I got it for two fifteen because I said I'm not lingering around here all day. Um, well, I thought you were doing tutoring. This is the lady that called the meeting. I said I don't know anything about tutoring. What I do know is on these days we we leave when the bell rings we leave, and I'm I don't take lunch. I'm one on one, so every time I do my check, it's poop one on one, no lunch. Um her who I work for but they want me to take a lunch not only do they want me to take a lunch they want me to work the tutoring after school whenever that is with other kids so I said oh I'm not doing that I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna be able to do that that's not what I'm doing you guys you're you're not gonna dictate my life like that you're not gonna this is not what you're gonna do and if you don't want me working with the little boy one-on-one, even though that's what I'm here for, hey, I'll just have to just report what I'm doing every week. But you're not going to take my time and think that I'm going to tutor some kids after school. You're tripping. And then take, no. So anyway, um, <laughs> this, I'm just finding out all this yesterday and today. So I, I, I talked with the man, and, you know, he's, of course, I'm great. And he's like, and I got a new um, a new pair, so I'm, I'm going to make her do everything that I would have you do. I'm going to make her do it. And I'm going to make her do some other stuff, too. So, and that's exactly what he does. He works this girl that has, oh, well, it's a whole other circus. But, yeah, he works her. So that's great. Um, the principal pulls me out of this class today. 
to check in with me. She wants to check in. She needs to go to the office. She asked me. She said that one of the teachers, this is the, uh, le- the, the, the lesbian the teacher that wanted me to work for her house and go to work at her son's school and take care of her son after school and take him fishing and all this wonderful stuff because I'm so wonderful. Her, she, um, this, I don't know what's the problem that she has with um, this, this, the guy teacher that I'm talking about. But she's assessing the kid and his subject and another subject to see what they know in the subject that she teaches. So instead of us doing the subject that she teaches, she's assessing them in the subject he teaches and another teacher. And, I mean, she's pushing these back. Okay, guys, I want you to do this pamphlet. I want you to do this pamphlet. So the child that I'm... Uh, oversee. He's just with the math. He's using the calculator. So she, no, I don't want you to use the calculator because I wanted you to, I wanted you to, um, I don't want to see what you know. I'm like, look, look, we just came from math. So you don't have to, this this doesn't even have nothing to do with your class. So please. So she kind of backed off of him, but everybody had to take it. It was for days. She's doing assessments to place them. And I said, why are you why are you assessing the children? And she said, because they he won't tell me anything, and I want to know where they are in in his in his class in his class, and I want to know why he's I just I just want to know. And I just thought it was so crazy because that's stressful for the children. It's a special day, so if you have them doing, if you're assessing them, if we're in your class for one thing, and you're assessing them on some stuff that we just been stressed out about. We just came from those two stressful classes. No more. But you're just, and you have these packets. It was like a packet. And you're pushing them in front of them and making them do it and fussing and yelling for days. So I don't know what she has with this. They call her Karen, all this stuff. Everybody hates her, all that. Woe was me. So she wants to report the guy. She wanted to report the guy. And um, she's been trying to do that. So... She was saying something to me. I said, look, I don't know what's going on here. I'm not, I, I know I'm a mandated reporter, but so are you. So you, if you got something to report, you do it. So that was it and I left. So this helper told the principal, well, such and such talking about me is, um, is, 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 is said she's a mandated reporter. So, um, I'm just thinking that you could uh, call CPS on the uh, the other teacher because, um, what did she say? She, because she said she's a mandated reporter and um, he's doing stuff to the kids. And I said, I just took my glasses off because I said, what do you guys have going on here? And she said, I don't know. I'm just asking you. I said, I told that lady, I'm a mandated reporter, but so is she. If she has something going on, she can come tell you whatever it is. That's why I, I, I don't care what you guys do, what you, how you teachers run, do whatever you're doing with these kids. 
My job is to make sure that this child is able to understand, process, and follow the routine here as long as he's in school and maintain his behavior. That's what I'm here for. You guys, whatever you guys have going on here, I have nothing to do with. So, um, she, I said, you, the, um, you came in the class, you observed the class. I said, we're, we're, we, we've got enough going on with, we do these assessments in this class. I, I, we have enough going on. So you guys deal with that. And also, if I'm here, it doesn't make sense for me to stand security and watch the teachers do what I am supposed to be doing or attempt to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And he misses out because at the end of the year, I'm not one-on-one with him anymore. And that's not right to phase me out as soon as I get there to use me to help you with all these other kids. That's not right. That I'm not. I wouldn't do it anyway. And that's definitely not how it will be once I get off of his, you know, case as a one-on-one as well. I would not do that. But to think that you're going to push me in that direction and I'm not going to at least say something. So now I have to meet with my company because I don't know what what's really going on, but I'll have to meet with the company that I work, that I work through because they're saying – I don't know what they're saying. I won't know until Tuesday, but they're saying something about that because I guess it could be too because I won't work for the after school program or whatever this thing is. I don't, I don't have to. So, and then my lunch too. So here it goes with my lunch again. So I'll see what's going on and report back. But, um, of course I say I'm not in trouble and I'm great. It's just a couple of things, but I know they're nervous because they are abusive, and the one with the lawsuit, I'm in there every day with her child, and this the other one that would act abused, she's she's been asking for me to work with her child for a year. And um, they're trying to appease the mother, but the teachers are envious because he only listens to me. And I'm just coming in off the street. Who and who? Who? How dare you come in off the street? And you're able to do stuff, and we can't. So now they're being mean to the little boy. They told him on um, Thursday, this teacher. We were just standing outside of the door because everybody's mean, and I'm just standing around like security guard. I'm not working, except for in the class with the, the male teacher, but. Basically, I'm just standing around or taking the kids for a walk or something. It's just anything, but nothing, nothing else. So, um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's it's just it's it's just weird. Um, it's it's just weird. Just it's something they have going on, and I know it's a, a, a envy because of how I just came in and they didn't know the rapport that I had with the children until you see it in action. And there's a total envy, total envy, especially with the one that's the hardest to deal with because now the lady, all the teachers are really being aggressive with them. And now she's saying, well, you're in his personal, she's in, Hey, 
you're in her personal space and I'm going to tell your father and I'm going to tell your parents that you're um, trying to leave school and leave with leave off campus almost. But every time she leaves, you're right behind her. I'm going to tell you're invading her personal space. And so today he runs, you know, because as soon as it's time for us to have class, he runs into that class to come get me. And um, she, ah, personal space. So he was whispering to me because he only comes close to tell me what he wants to say. And um, I said, is this enough personal space? So she's not, she's, they're just acting funny, so she's not speaking, and I don't care. I just say goodbye anyway and just keep on going. So thank you for taking my call, and I'll mute my one. Well, much obliged, uh, Bay Area mom. Yes, we'll watch our personal space. Hmm. Uh, man, see there, we even even that. Now you get the you you get I guess the privilege to get a real live actual educator and not a bot. Presumably, uh, she's qualified and all that. Uh, and I, I remember the one uh, from previous the previous school year. <clears throat> she had the little non-white fella, and he I guess had some sort of uh, fascination I guess there's a lot of young people too they're real tactile but the uh, the different textures and things and she said oh okay he likes you know touching stuff some people wear the you know the cashmere and suede like oh my god the different fabrics and how it feels so he would go to touch it and they're like, oh, you rapist, you little Jeffrey Dahmer. Get back, get back, get the, get the cuffs. Tase him, tase him. He's trying to rape, he's trying to, whoa, 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 whoa. He just, I think he's just, it's, it's suede. He's never seen suede before. Let him, Lord. And then they start like, oh, yeah, he is just, I thought he was trying to rape us. We were going to go get the, you got to, personal space, personal space. Lord Jesus, uh, that, that would be another one play around with sex the joke is on the offspring now, I guess I can't say school just started since it's 30 days in now for most folks so you know uh, but you see how many times brand new school year just first week of October how many times have we what are you doing get away from her what you don't go talk to her I just I want I, 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 you don't talk to her. Don't you say a word. Don't you say hello. What's up? Nothing. No Negro salutations. You keep it moving, buddy. Like, dang, I just... It's a, then we got to go have whole meetings. Get our Negro educated. Like, okay, look here. These little Negroes, their scores just spike magically when you're in the classroom. I know these are your little cousins and what have you. You don't want to see them go off to prison. But no helping your little cousins on the exam. She's like, dang, I just, I'm trying to help them read the test. I didn't give them. We heard all that. Don't help them on the exam. Is that no problem? Are you with me? Dang. They can't even do the way. We got Play around with sex. Joke is on the offspring. Uh, the and kudos, black self-respect. 
know your limits. Now, she even emphasized, I didn't jump up and down. and I got to teach Leroy, and I got to explain the question. If I don't, they'll fail it. She didn't do it. No problem. Yes, sir. No problem. No helping. The signing up, volunteering. Oh, you're doing the tutoring program after school? Yes. What? Wait a minute. What? No, no, I did not sign up for the like, whoa, time. And they do that old stuff with us talking about black people all the time. A lot of times this is spill over to non-white people in general. So you'll be like, we're, you're so down and impoverished. You can't even afford the Brussels sprouts. You need the overtime, don't you? Or you, you definitely want to curry favor, don't you? Don't you want to be one of our favorite niggers? Come on. We know you. I just thought you would love to stay extra and work overtime and do the after school. Like what? Uh, no, I'm good. No, no, thank you. Don't volunteer me for things. Thank you. No, in the workplace, like Planet of the Apes, so important. Saying no to white people about unwanted touching, unwanted scheduling, all of the above. No. Super important. Uh, tell them don't guess the answer. You haven't told us anything we wouldn't be able to answer or participate at all if we don't what they call make an educated guess dang I don't have children but man you play around with sex best you can hope for is a bot instructor uh, other folks who dialed in hand up mine should be open proceed Hey, Gus, uh, victim from New Jersey. Um, so I was just, just, just an observation, just a global observation of the work situation in another country. So I went on vacation last week, went to a wedding, um, you know, two, two, two attempted victims, you know, given a shot at, you know, being, um, legally, you know, attempted, uh, care mates or partners. So they, you know, so I went to a wedding. Um, so I went to uh, Carousel, and um, you know, night, you know, you know, I'm, you know what, beautiful island, but you know, again, my observation: most of the people on the working staff were um, black people. Um. And um Kibersal is a part of the Netherlands Islands. Um so you know, most of most of the workforce um are black. Uh as I was driving through the town, eh, you know, it, it looks you know, it, the surrounding area of Kibersal, you know, I I mean I mean I don't wanna assume but it looks you know, looks a little um impoverished. You know, just just from you know from observation, but but beautiful island. Um, the you know the, the the white people. I assume that a lot of them were from Europe. You know, so they kind of when we was in a hotel, they kind of like gave me a vibe that uh, well, gave you know kind of was like giving me the feel like it was like out of curiosity, like you know when we was walking around, kind of. 
look kind of giving me giving me a look or giving us a look like we looked out of place like maybe we you know maybe we should have been behind the bar you know serving the drinks like what were we doing just kind of like you know you know had the nerve to be kind of you know chilling you know walking up and down the, the hotel you know without a um without an employee outfit on um another victim from Guyana you know, it, it was real interesting just to hear, you know, he, he said something and um, he was also attending the wedding. He was like, man, you know, so he's like, um, I wonder why. I said, I think, you know, everywhere I go, you know, black people are just at the bottom. You know, and I, I just, you know, I just, I just thought about the cows and I just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, vacation is definitely a must. Um, it's, it's definitely, um, important. The vacation, um, it went away too fast. It went too fast, but just, you know, just to be off the plantation and just to, um, just to be by water, you know, just being by the water was just so relaxing. I spent most of the time, you know, before and a little after the wedding, you know, by the water, um, the employees, the staff, black people, very courteous. Um, I mean, I went out my way to just be as courteous as I can be as far as um, my interactions with um, the black people that worked at the desk, uh, you know, the black people that were um, cleaning the rooms. And, um, but, you know, again, like I said, my you know, just my observation, like globally, like like black people globally are just a working class people, you know. So, you know, just just my observation, you know, I, I could be incorrect, but that's that's what I saw. Down and out, back of the bus, bottom of the boat, all over the known universe and conversely everywhere you go even when it's not that many of them whitey in charge how does that happen not magic folks bravo on the vacation glad it was constructive uh hey i encourage what he said in terms of if you you know have are out somewhere if you go to the post office grocery store you go to the fields foods when it open when it's open uh if you have black workers try to be as courteous as you can uh we are on the plantation so you know how you're treated at work i always try to put that in play to the best of my ability uh to be courteous and particularly if i get you know great courteous efficient service oh man black brother you are the best I might not do the black sister and black brother thing, but at minimum, I'll give them a, a great review and all that. See if I can write something to say they suggest or have earned a hefty bonus, raise, that sort of thing. Both promotion. Uh, but bravo on getting the vacation. Always great to get that uh, time to recharge. Hopefully you didn't have to tell your uh, coworkers and such uh, about your brief time away from the plantation because they can get super nosy. Uh, and then <clears throat> I'm not surprised that the whites that you encounter, like, yeah, what is this? 
What's the nigger boy doing? We supposed to be white man, white woman on vacation. You supposed to have on some sort of uniform or apron or something, you know, put a dustpan in his hand, sweep up something, mop up something, you know, ask us if we need our drink refreshed or do some laundry or something. You're sitting out here going vacation like a white man. Huh. Huh. Ruin our whole vacation, man. Uh, much obliged, whitey. Always. And I love it how you said when the black brothers said, man, you know, every, everywhere we go, black people at the bottom. He didn't say he whipped out the ISIS paper or you read Neely Fuller Jean said, Yes, yes, black brother is sad. You're on vacation. I'm gonna go back and get the lounge chair. Ah, yes. Get to that justice another day on vacation. <laughs> right on, right on. Not trying to even go there. Might be married to a white person or something. Who knows? Uh let's see. Uh much obliged. Victim in New Jersey. Other folks who dialed in you have observations suggestions commentary to share 605-313-5164 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate hello yes ma'am Oh, hello. Um, I'm just going to um, talk about my experience in the workplace. I work for a hospital on the um, East Coast. And um, one of the, we had a new employee, a white um, Italian woman of Italian descent, she's American though. And she'd always be making little slide comments. I was, I was planning on ignoring her um, and other things said. Um, and finally, I just had enough. One of the comments she would always make would be like, well, when she was one-on-one with me, she would just tell me where she used to live. And I knew that area of the city is now mostly black, like a lot of places. I guess it was white flight. Um, and then but when she would get around white people, all of a sudden she'd be saying bad things about how, um, oh, I used to live there. And she said it used to be all Italian. She said, now nah, I wouldn't go anywhere near there. Um and then it'll be, and then she'll say stuff like that, you know, when she's around white people. It, but I'll be there too. And also a comment she made was um, some other white woman trying to instigate, knowing how this white woman is. She, um, oh yeah, first of all, when that comment was made about how you see all Italian, um, nobody said anything. It's just, and then the other white lady who was there, she just started asking some guy how his pizza was all of a sudden. Um, but anyway, so fast forward to another incident, um, the white woman who I said started talking about pizza, once the white lady started saying, talking about how the neighborhood now is not all Italian, she didn't say black, but that's, everybody knows where that place is, it's mostly black. Um, the one who skipped the subject of pizza, um, she started talking about how, oh, did you guys see the new, um, you know, that, that's that new Little Mermaid movie, um. She said, oh, I, I hate those remakes. And um, and then somehow they started talking about how they're having now, you know, different people play these parts. And so the white Italian lady goes, oh, she goes, you know, everything now is interracial. 
And she started talking about, uh, I think it was that Cinderella movie, which is so old, with Whoopi, Girl, Whoopi Goldberg playing the um, fairy godmother. And she goes, oh, and they have Whoopi Goldberg playing the fairy godmother and some Chinese guy acting in it. And um, I think she said that's Puerto Rican or something. I didn't. Even, I never even saw the movie, but um, <laughs> yes. And so and she was, and then it's some. And I think it was that same day, some other white woman over at Cubicle Wall, they were talking about football. And, oh, yeah. And by the way, this, um, they were talking to white women. were talking about how, oh, my God, all the quarterbacks are so handsome and so-and-so's baby blues and blah, blah, blah. And then um, the Italian lady was talking about how this one, though, was ugly. And she said, it's a, and they were trying, she was trying, she, did, she said she didn't know his name. So she was saying, it's a black guy or something. So I guess she was just, you know. <laughs> Not only are we all ruining the neighborhood, but we're ugly too and shouldn't be in certain movies. Anyway, so that same day, there's some other white woman over at Cubicle Walls about how they, oh, they lynched so-and-so. I don't even know who she was talking about. It was some football player. They were talking, you know, how they talk about the game or whatever. I don't even, I'm not even into football. Anyways, that white woman, I emailed her and said, you know what, um, can you not, yell about lynchings over your cubicle wall. Um, I said, uh, you know, I just talked about, you know, it's kind of hard to believe that someone could not know that that word uh, lynching has been used to terrorize black people in this country. Then she comes around to my desk and tries to apologize. I said, I don't want to, I don't want to speak about this. Um, So she just went, I said, just responding by email. She went back to her email and said, okay. And that was that she came back to work. Um, the next work then was talking like nothing happened. And then, but so the following, I think it was a Monday. I forgot when I did this. Anyways, I was so annoyed and I was tired of just sitting there listening to them. So I sent an email to everybody in the group I work with and say, I said, good morning. Hope everyone's well. If you're working in the office, can you please not say things like, um, you know, I was talking about, um, uh, the comment a woman made about the neighborhood, about the the a, a black woman playing a fictional character and her not uh, her, her not liking that and whatever else was in the lynching comment. I think it took it that excludes the managers and everything. My mother goes, Why did you why did you do that? Um at the time I was gonna I, I mean at the time I'm just frustrated and also I wanted to speak up for myself versus have somebody else do it. Anyways, everybody was silent until um well, the supervisor called me on my cell phone and had me go into the conference room, and he said he was sorry that happened, and he's seen a lot of racist things in his 30 years of working, and blah, 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 and he's so sorry. He's going to send an email out. It's going to take a while. So it maybe was an hour or two later he sent the email out about um, a collaborative working space. And I, I wish I had. I got to print the email when I get back to work but um he was he was saying he that's not acceptable in the workplace and you may you may think that a comment is harmless but other people may find it offensive and you know blah blah, you know the typical it probably was something that i was already uh already typed up and he just put his name on you know it's probably some type of a generic form and then um other people emailed me personally and said they were shocked. You know, it was about three people, but five people responded to the email in general, two black and then three white, saying, they, oh, my God, they can't believe that happened, blah, blah, blah. 
anyways, then the following work day, human resources called me into his office and said they're going to set, he thinks my complaint, They whenever somebody has a complaint like that, it has to go to the Office of Equity and Inclusion and blah, blah, blah. He gave me a folder to keep notes and um, and all this. And then the next day, or maybe it was the same day. Anyways, they called the Italian lady. Well, I'm just assuming because it was shortly, it was around the same time I had to speak to the man. Called her in for a meeting, I believe, because when she came back, she was wiping her eyes. And then she went to her computer, turned it on, and said, excuse my language, but she said, well, I'm not going to say it because I know you don't like that, but she said B-I-T-C-H. She said the word. And because this white woman was just crying in this office, and I knew they were going to be so sympathetic towards her, I didn't say anything at the time, but the next workday, I emailed Human Resources. He emailed me and said, um, if there's any other concerns, let me know. And I said, you know what? I didn't want to say anything because of the stress of the situation at the time, but I said when so-and-so went back to her desk, she did say the word B-I-T-C-H, and I hope that was not meant for me. And that took him a day to respond. He said he was sorry for not responding on time and blah, blah, blah. And then, um, so the supervisor, he, he well, um, then another supervisor called me in her office to see if everything was okay. She said, I heard about the, the, the B-I-T-C-H where that's not acceptable, blah, blah, blah. And um, so then she she called the Italian lady in her office and closed the door. So, you know, and so that was, that was happening. Well, and that was off of work today. So that was Thursday when I all, the last thing, ha- event happened. So um, I'm not expecting much. And she's just, obviously she doesn't, she doesn't think it's a big deal, which, you know, she knows her people. So cause to, to go through all that, it have not some, only somebody email you, but the supervisor emailed one too. And then, now you're coming out using profanity. And these women in general are very foul mouth. They call people psycho bitches. She has, I mean, out in the open. And she has, she has already told me her son has been to Juvie Hall. He's been in the mental institution. I, see, I know those things are genetic. So she's telling me these things about her son, but she's really revealing things about herself. And so I think she might be a little off. Um, not that that's an excuse for racism, but um yeah so like i said i'm not expecting much even the um, people emailing me including the black people emailing me privately did they support me i i I, you know (laughs) i really don't even trust that so um i just wanted my point of the email was to stand up for myself and have the behavior stop so um yeah that's 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 all i have to um say thank you for your time Black brother. Like brother hell. Oh, I got the sister one now. Dang. Oh, well. <sighs> I have to remember I have both versions. Anywho, uh, wow. Much obliged for sure. That's, that is important. She said that the black, we, we got you, black sister. We, we got you. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 United Independent, uh, victims, but you need low expectations. Low, low, very white low. Uh, I was kind of with Mama. I don't know if she listened to the cows or not. Uh, Shout out to Mama if she does. Um, She said, why did you do that? Question lane. She said, why did you you do that? And I guess she did tell us she wanted the behavior to stop standing up for herself. 
uh, I don't know. Maybe we have to check in to see uh, if you would do anything better. Are you satisfied with the results after, I don't know, maybe after next week or so, once you have a time, once you have time to kind of evaluate uh, what the fallout is from all of this. Is there a change in behavior, all the rest of it? Do they actually stop all of these crude, racist comments in the workplace, or does it continue? We'll have to see. I guess at this point, what would you you pleased about how things have transpired? Would you do anything differently? Uh, no, and um, like I said, I, I really, <laughs> I know I can't trust any of these people I work with. They're not my friends, any of them. Um, um, the human resources man said that was great. I sent that email. Um, a white woman uh, who was, in the, in the email she responded, when she responded to everyone, she said she was so shocked she couldn't even speak, blah, blah, blah. Then she emailed me private, privately and said, good for you for sending that email. And she, that's horrible that, you know, people have to, she said, it's so horrible. You have to listen to that and everyone else too. And I'm thinking, I don't think, and I'm the only black person in that group. I don't think anybody else was, you know, offended. They probably agree. I didn't say that to her, but you know, I, I just said, yeah, I said, I just said things and I agree with you, but you know, um, yeah, but I, um, because of the environment I work in, um, I think the email was okay. And my mother was saying that I probably should just email the supervisor and let him handle it because I might I might have put a target on my back because now people who do not like me, they're going to get together and really come after me. But um, like I said, because of the environment I'm working in, I don't. I think that that was okay. Uh, people send out group, group emails all the time sharing different stuff. So, I mean, I, I didn't call anybody out by name. Um, um, one thing I learned, though, is I see little warning signs in people, and I need to speak up right away instead of I always want to push things off, you know, and, and, and say, well, you know, I'll just, I'm just going to ignore them, put my headphones on, and they won't, you know, not pay them any attention or blah, blah, blah. And that does not work. So I should speak up the first time, you know, and, um, so that's the only thing different I would do is speak up from the get go instead of letting things go on. Because like I said, she has said I've been here. She has said she's gonna anybody has something for her to throw at me, and I was just like, I'm just thinking to myself, this lady is insane. But I should have stopped her right then and said, please do not, uh, or not even please, just do not um, joke about me with violence ever again. You know, I could have said, but I didn't want to cause a stir. But letting things slide, it's going to end up blowing up to something bigger. You know, if I had spoken up sooner, she probably would have, um, that probably would have sent a message to her that I wasn't going to be tolerating certain things, you know. Um, so like I said, if I worked at another job, I, oh my God, especially a small company. I work for a hospital. It's pretty big. If I worked for a smaller company, oh no, I would never, I would be, I would have been fired, but they would have found something else to fire me for. But, um, I would have been gone. It, it's happened to me before. Um, but at this bigger company, it's a hospital. Um, the, the, the CEO or CFO was just on the news talking about, um, medical racism and how black, uh, uh, patients aren't listened to and blah, blah, blah. So they do have, you know, because of that, something, because of that, some things have sort of kind of changed on the surface that, you know, like I said, I don't trust anybody I work with, so I know that's a bad attitude to have, but I, it, it's just, I'm just honest. They talk a lot of good stuff, and then 
do the opposite. They say, you know, they're just saying stuff what, it, what they're supposed to. Now, the actual manager, she has not said a word to me. So, which uh, I've had issues with her in the past. So, um, but I still don't regret um, what I did. But I'll definitely give an update. Right on, right on. That's important too. The manager didn't didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And no, even- just the supervisor. He was the one who sent the email. And then one of the black women goes, "Thank you." Um, you know his name. She said because it was like an elephant in the room and no one was addressing. The the, the manager's manager actually is the one that talked to me. The su- supervisor did as well, but the ma- manager she has not said a word. When she first got there, a white female came up to me, yanked work out of my hand, and I went, and it was some work that I'm supposed to lock some, some um, it's called PHI, Protected Health, Health Information. I was supposed to, lock, supposed to lock up. I went in and told the manager. She said she didn't think it warranted a response from her. And then once I went to Human Resources about this, she lied and said she didn't say that and blah, blah, blah. And... So, you know, this is the same white one, so. Mm. Take, they gave you, she said that they gave her a uh, journal that take notes. Hey, I recommend that all the time. So absolutely keep that yeah, document. Yeah, and I knew that. Yeah, when this, when this stuff first started happening, I was, but I just get so much anxiety about recording my feelings. And I know, I, I knew I should have been, documenting everything but and I did not that was not I should have had my even my mom had told me before have a little journal just be writing stuff down you know uh and I did not do that happens to the best of us you know live and learn but hey they gave, they even gave you a little reminder there with the notepad so and that I We've heard that from a number of victims over the years, females, males, all over the world, that same, you know, kind of thing that I say about dialing in to share, even though it is very, same thing, really, the notes, dialing in to share, very valuable, not the most enjoyable thing to be writing down the way that we get terrorized in the workplace and how the way that they lie on us and eat, even that. I gotta sit around and hear them white people sitting around talking about, oh, they lynched him, and uh, I don't like all these niggers taking over the game. Where Tom Brady? I miss the good old. Like, come on, come on. That's not even the jive. If she said that in a hospital, like health environment, why are we even talking about this? What does this have to do with our job? That's why I talk about. Let's let's stay on task. We're not supposed to be. T- what does Whoopi Goldberg have to do with? <laughs> none of this really all of this is just off task opportunities to talk about racism we're not talking about making sure we got personal protection equipment prepared for the next round of the rona none of that excuses to be racist and violent too like dang we supposed to be do no harm we up here talking about lynching matter of fact soon as she said something they talking about lynching you, man, that black female who dialed in. This thing, you heard she called her bitch. Like, you're supposed to be a feminist. It's 2000. That's unprofessional, too. It's 2025. You're supposed to be a feminist. Like, what are you doing? She said this all every day. Psycho bitch. Like, dang, dang. Like, what is going on? And then, see, they got little uh, Reb, vodka, 
at home said he already done his stint at juvie probably for pipe bombs on all kinds of medication heard all that before even that that's been a number of black people non-white people who said that over the years how lax white people can be and even talking about their children and their children's malfeasance and what have you or other family members even can be adults like man I I do not care Did, well you can let me know if they're about to blow up the school that might that would be good to know but I mean unless you're telling me about their plan to bomb the school and all of that I don't want to know about their juvie hall stint and all the rest of it why are you telling me this what does this have to do with the job it's not Oprah man I'm not over. Get it together, man. Get you a therapist or whatever. You got benefits, man. Go get you a therapist and let's stay on task. I don't want to hear about your gripes about Whoopi Goldberg, neither. What makes you think I like Whoopi Goldberg? Hear me in here complaining about her and what she said on The View this morning? Come on. Uh, 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 uh. But yeah, I would definitely keep, no, even if you uh, if you don't want to do it written style, because I guess they give you a pad, you can use your phone and just, you know, set up a folder most of them have audio recorders you can get pick an app that you like or whatever and just do a recording sit in your car wait till you get home get comfy or whatever end of the day and just bam just so they have a record date time names this is what happened boom 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 try to be as accurate as you can that could be another way and just have your little audio folder and then you can trans- transcribe if you should need the information at one point but that could be another journal method if folks need it Let's see Uh, the, any other folks before I get to our email starting to have those as well any other folks commentary they wanted to make sure they share tips suggestions right on we'll double check after I get through some of our emails give out the number again uh, and even for you know if you're in a work environment for a lot of us you got to be there for 35 hours, 40, 45, who knows? It could be a long time, you know, and some people, they work these jobs, you're there for years. Man, there is something to be said for that. Just being professional, we come in and we're talking about work-related subject matter, not, oh man, he got lynched, didn't he? Mm-hmm. They just messed it all up and, oh my God, did you see they got this Chinese person in the new uh, Harry, oh God, Jesus, what is it like? There is something to be said for, I do not need to hear that. We can talk in a professional manner. If I came here and was talking about, man, that Benjamin Crump is a hero and whoo, he should be person of they would be upset. Or Al Sharpton or Michelle Obama, insert name. So let's be professional. Let's be on task. I do think there's something to be said for that because that does have an impact on us even just being distracted I'm trying to get things filed and all the rest of it and they're cackling and loud talking about all this and all that profanity which I've said before that is a major red flag we're in a professional work environment we are not working at some brothel we're not working at a bar we're not in the so called red light district be professional why are you around here talking like that who are you even talking about are you talking about a client a co-worker Come on. Uh, let's see. That would be the type of thing I would journal about, too, because all of that, I mean, it's almost 2025. They have that in the like policy and procedure manual 
in many, especially if you work in a like serious office environment. Oh yeah, you are not supposed to be walking around B word this and F this and that. Come on, come on. Let's see. Much obliged, ma'am. We will wait to hear on the update if there's any sort of uh, retaliation, that type of thing behind your back. Might even have some nooses left in the workplace. That is a really popular method of retaliation. All right, get to the emails. Email number one, or I'll give out the address untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Email number one. Bang, okay. Hi, Gus, callers, and Cal's audience. I wrote last week that I withdrew my application for the role I was doing on a high profile project. The Asian male who now heads up the project and the racist suspect female were excluding me from emails, meetings, and other communications on the project, but I think he wanted me around because I have knowledge he doesn't have. Senior managers also had an expectation that I would be on the project, so excluding me would make me feel uncomfortable enough to eventually leave by my own account. On the morning of the interview, I'd 90% made up my mind that I would withdraw my application. My final decision came down to the fact that I had spent over a year being terrorized by the racist ex-manager that I did not want to knowingly put myself in a position to be managed by someone suffering from extreme anti-blackness. My interview was scheduled for 3 p.m. The Asian male had messaged me at 10.30 a.m. as I had not accepted the interview invite. I didn't respond. I spent the morning thinking through my decision and then deciding what to write in my email, declining the interview. I drafted the email but decided to wait until the end of my division meeting finished before sending it at noon. The Asian male must have messaged my manager as she sent me a message letting me know that he was trying to get hold of me. She questioned why I had not responded. I had literally just sent him the email declining the interview, which I let her know. She then asked why I had not responded to his message. I replied because I was in meetings. She knew I was telling the truth as she was in the same meetings. She then messaged me to say that she wanted to speak to me after the meeting. I then had to explain why I hadn't immediately responded to him. I asked her if she ever received a message but didn't reply straight away or had the same thing happen to her. I explained that I wasn't ignoring him, I was thinking through my decision, and that his message was about the interview, not work. I had previously told her that I was thinking of withdrawing my application because of his mistreatment. He was constantly making reports about me to my line manager creating a negative impression of me. I said that his behavior that day was more of the same, which she accepted. Hmm, how about that? She told me that he had asked her about my attendance at work when they had met, and she told him that the only issue was making sure I took my annual leave, not the opposite. The nerve of this man, I am very sure, he has not made similar inquiries about the racist suspect female. I asked my manager to agree on a date for when I would return to her team. That is clown and like, what are you, about this negra? She's shiftless, isn't she? She's lazy, isn't she? She never comes to work. Says, well, actually, with this one, 
she sends the show up all the time. You got to shoo her away. Like, all right, nigga woman, get out there and take your vacation. Like, really? What? You sure? She's not lazy? Really? Hmm. Hmm. How suspicious. Can't win. She continues. She messaged me later that day uh, to say that she'd spoken, that they had spoken, and that he would meet with me. I spoke with him later that afternoon. I gave two reasons in my email for withdrawing my application. One, because he kept reporting to, to he kept reporting me to my manager and blaming me for an IT problem that was not my fault, even though I had kept in contact with him as much as possible during that period. And two, because I had received feedback that it was not including me in all the communications on the project. He apologized, accepted my decision to withdraw my application, and asked if I could still help on the project. I was actually happy to do so because it was useful to me to remain on the project. The following Monday, we had a project team meeting with the racist suspect female, and the three of us agreed to meet in the office on Thursday to plan through what needed to happen on the project. We met for half an hour that morning. We obviously didn't get through everything we needed Two, so the Asian male said he would put some time in diaries to meet later that day. Apparently, he had a meeting to go to. When we then went to the desks we had booked, we hot desk when we're in the office and I booked a desk away from where they were sitting. I didn't hear from either of them, which didn't overly concern me, but I was less than impressed with the Asian male's planning and irritated that I had traveled into the office. The meeting we could have been done the meeting could have been done online. After lunch I went to get something out of the locker I had been assigned. To my surprise, the two of them were seated at a table next to the lockers discussing ideas for the project. I had not been invited to their meeting. I was stunned, humiliated, demeaned, and it felt like someone had kicked me in the stomach. Yep, that is all of the above. I got what I needed out of my locker as if I had not seen them. I could tell from their voices they did not expect to see them, did not expect me to see them. They carried on talking but sounded uncomfortable. I said nothing to them. They said nothing to me. I went back to the desk, fuming but controlled. He messaged me about an hour and a half later with a lame excuse for the separate meeting with the racist suspect female. He suggested we meet later that afternoon. I agreed, but the meeting did not happen as he claimed he needed to attend an urgent meeting instead. I think he was lying about the urgent meeting. He suggested I put some time in the diary for the two of us the following Monday. I did not. I met with my manager the following day, Friday, and explained what happened. She agreed I would return to the team the following week and that she would speak to the Asian male. She said she was confused by his behavior as he was adamant he needed me to continue working on the project and she had said yes as it was a company priority. My manager told me that when she first told him I wanted to return to the team, he was very dismissive as he had received lots of interest about the position. The next time she spoke with him, he said that he had offered two people the role, but they both declined. E what did they see that they did not like? He was less sure of himself at this point. Uh, the racist suspect female is busy bad-mouthing him every chance she gets. He's still very supportive of her. Fool. Uh, no name-calling. Victim of racism. I mean, didn't, this is the same person. This uh, author. Same person. She 
wrote about the black female before that was being used to sabotage her. Remember, this went on for a long time and caused her a great deal of anxiety. None of that. The young lady who called in previously, just before that, where she said the black people even it right on my black sister. I want to give you a, a harambe and uh, soul clap, my black sister. And you hang on in there, and I got my black fist up, and I'm with you, and you do it to them, because I got the motherland. And they, come on, come on, come on. United, independent. I don't care how much melanin they have or don't have, like, whatever. At minimum, if they're classified as not white, I expect this person to be very confused and very weak, very vulnerable. All of those things make you kind of dangerous in the workplace or anywhere else, kind of. But definitely on the job. We're not homies. Continues. My manager and I had a long chat about his behavior this week. She said she understood why I wanted to return to the team. And he was also very dismissive and rude to her. Not the smart idea. Don't be upsetting a white woman. She also said that she analyzed the situation and the difference in how he was behaving towards the racist suspect female. She also said she thought about what she and I have in common. We are both black females, which she believes is the reason why he was behaving so badly towards us. Okay, this is not a white woman. My apologies. Strike that thought he's being rude to a white woman, which is definitely a big Mm-mm. might just be more anti-blackness like eh nigga woman get out of here yeah, I don't talk to you either get out of here get out of here yeah. uh, she continues I returned to her team last week and I'm happy about it I do I do have to deal with incompetent Carrie which is a downside <laughs> turns out she has been throwing her toys out of her pram being racist towards the non-white black manager I'll write about this next Hmm. That is, uh, right, well, she, she, she'll tell us about that next week. Okay. Uh, anywho's that sort of frustration in the workplace, uh, from other victims of racism is so common. That's why I try to emphasize all the time. You can't see these people. I wouldn't care if they're classified as black or whatever. They're not your friends. They're not your homies. Like you should expect that they will do things same way. Mr. Fuller talked about you try to work against racism. They're going to be working against you. Sitting right there, it might even be sitting right like, what do you mean? Trying to tell people we can't say, talk about lynching. And when I talk about lynching every day, don't you tell me what to talk about and all of it. You ought to be ashamed of yourself around here trying to say we can't talk. I like talking about football. Football is great. I want to lynch everything. You expect all that. They're not your friends, not your homies, and they're probably very confused. Might even have uh, individuals classified as white, as friends sexual partners, married, who knows? Low expectations. Even if they're classified as black. And, you know, they're over here messing you over. I've seen that too, where they're over here doing this and doing that and thinking they're in cool with the white people and then whammo. No, you're a victim of racism too. Seen that before. United Independent in the workplace very sorry she did speak about the the part about the humiliation 
of it all that is so common in the workplace. In fact, so much of what is set up in the workplace is designed for exactly what she said, so that we can be totally humiliated, sabotaged, feeling questioned in ourselves, like maybe it's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not that smart. And they went, like, nope, nope, nope. They're just practicing racism. And even these type of meetings and things before we've had so many people. And I mean, for years, we didn't even have workplace racism as a program. And we had black people calling in talking about this very thing. The people that you work with, you're on the project or the team or whatever it is. And they deliberately exclude you. We're going to have a big meeting and go over this and all that. Make sure Leroy Asada leave her. Don't tell Asada. Don't tell Asada. And they wait and see, oh, hey, Asada, how you doing? Right, right, oh, yeah. Oh, we just went a few things. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, we just touched on a few things. It was like just five minutes. Don't even worry about it. You didn't tell her. Good job. Yeah. Don't want that nigga messing it up. Even at the college level, I've had this sort of thing happen where people have had like study groups or they're working on a class project. You know, they get uh, groups and you do a little assignment together and what have you. Same thing. Do the little group message between them and boop, totally missed out. They get the class. They even got shirts and things coordinated sometimes. You all like, dang, I didn't, y'all didn't, okay. Uh, no, you're not included. We're not included. Include, that's an inclusion. Don't even pretend to yourself. Much obliged for the email. Sorry you had to endure all that. So, so kind. That's another, that's what I'm saying. Like, none of this stuff is pleasant to have to, like, write about, call in live and talk about how they are racists, even other non-white people. Value my opinion so much that they deliberately left me out of the meeting and then tried to lie and pretend that they didn't do it and talked all awkward for a minute. Like, who wants to talk about that? My chest swells with pride. Yes. Anywho, uh, number 605-313-5164, the code 564-943-POUND, press star 61. If you would like to participate, uh, if you have thoughts, your own situation, any thoughts on what we've heard so far, feel free I know Halloween uh, is coming up. Uh, if they do any of the candy or what have you, I would not have a candy dish or anything on your uh, desk or at your work area. I would not participate in any of the snacks, giblets, if they have snicker bars or if they bake homemade cookies, brownies. That's a big one. They got to do the chocolate and fudge and COVID is coming back. I'm good. I've been good since 2020. I'm be good till two th- I'm gonna be good till infinity. We ain't got to put a date on it. I'm good. I'm good. Other folks, comments they needed to share? May I be heard? Caller at the courthouse. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to best the host the listeners and callers. Um, I had a few observations and updates I'd like to share. 
the first one is there was a a racial slur, I'll just call it that. And I looked this one up on the the website, the racial slur, race based. I don't know if anybody's heard of that. But that's a, a website. So this is a slur that is uh I guess used to uh or a slur that's used against I guess people who are called Indian or something. And there's a person that running for president, non white person. I think his name is Vivek. So this was a few weeks ago and the white woman he and this is how white people are practiced racism is that they'll say that another white person says something. But even even still, he seemed to enjoy this comment being made. She just simply said that I had a friend that said a Habib is running for president. So she was bursting out, burst out in laughter. And I said, man, that sounds for me like I heard it. So I guess it's just a, a slur. And this, like many other white person, this white woman, in another context, has said, I'm not a racist. So I'll start with um, My next one is uh, there has been some things with the symbolism, uh, decorations, and, you know, I thought about the Wilson and how they use the color black, okay? Like black bats. And primarily this week has been a uh, a situation where the sergeant now, the sergeant, he came up onto the other side because these decorations are on both sides. Beside where I work at, records area and the civil area. So the same white women clique staff um, have brought in these decorations, bats, ghosts, um, and mainly it's these gnomes, okay, like a garden gnome. Um, and they have like these pointed hats. Like I guess like how usual normal might look, but it's in all black. Okay. So the Sarge I'm being reported that a victim that the Sarge walked up to her, the sergeant walked to her, said, What does this look like? Okay. So we had our discussion, I'm thinking obviously KKK. So the gnomes, I guess. Somebody from the public, I'm thinking a customer, said it looked like a Klansman. Uh, and this white man, you know, he said, like, what does this look like? And she, she basically answered, like, you know, Klansman. So I guess it was a particular one that they were ordered to take down, but I walked around the day and I observed that some of these same uh 
figurines or these same gnome decorations, they look like what they were describing to me, and those are still up. And this, once again, a lot of fillers, black or um, bats, witch hats. Uh, there's a, a white woman that's got the Georgia Bulldogs um, fan memorabilia. She has four large black hats, like pointed hats, uh, hanging above where she sits at for a fine area. And a victim of racism said that another area where a white woman is seated has a, a, a black cat that reminds her of um, Sambo, little black Sambo. And she said she did not like this. And there was another observation where a white woman, because they did the gator homecoming today, so a lot of people wearing orange and blue Florida gators. So <laughs> this white woman made a bird noise, right? Now, this, I'm talking to this uh, black female victim, and it's a lot of us at the front counter. So this third black female, black supervisor, he looked at her and said, I'm making a, he sounded like he was making a crow call. And in the way she said it, it was real studious. It was a question. And it was observing. Like, why are you saying to the black person? That's how I picked up. Okay? And, you know, the white woman just said, oh, no, you, you, you misunderstood me or something. And I, I thought she was correct the first time. I think she was trying to make a, um, a place, you know. And I, I thought it was something racial about that. Uh, my my next observation uh, was it was um, it happened yesterday where it was a white family that came in asking about a quick claim deed form that's available on the county website. And we weren't informed about it. And I thought about what you were just talking about, Gus, about how they exclude they exclude black people. You know, you get ostracized. They don't they don't involve you, they don't tell you things. So this is another example of that of how there is a an available form on the website and this white woman, I'ma call her white. You know, they called her Pocahontas or whatever. This white dude called her Pocahontas. Okay. Um, I still think she is in that uh, white woman clique. She came over and I think tried to humiliate the black female that's been there 19 years. Because she ended up saying, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, Florida statute, this and this and that, you know, we do have a available on the site, but we aren't supposed to give legal advice and everything. So I just think that was just racism being practiced, this person being left out once again, even though like I shared a couple of weeks ago where the white woman, the supervisor over us said, oh, well, at least you're being consistent. That's, that's that same black female um, asking, do you have an email to 
substantiate you informing us about charging 15 cents, about a passport application, 15 cents were paid. Well, I can go and try and find one. She never, it never uh, materialized. She never sent nothing. So <laughs> I just think it's just uh, one of those things where other victims do have to uh, just experience things like how racism is is present every day, and they're doing things to practice racism against you. So I, I think, once again, that was just them excluding her, even though she's been there longer, even though she's more qualified, but they're still going to give it to their pale complexion, friends and, you know, that nepotism. Um, I wanted to, I know one last thing I wanted to read, and it's another uh, batch of metaphors. And this dude is calling this junk in and junk out. So <laughs> this is the, the the chief deputy, and he's talking about being influenced and your brain being a supercomputer. So he says, your brain is like a database in a supercomputer. You put lots of information in every day, and the information in your database will influence the results of any output, such as forming opinions and making decisions. It also influences your behavior, your reactions, and your demeanor experiences, and they decide to allow those experiences to define them. That could be good or bad. If you were an athlete on a championship team, you may adopt the role of champion and wear that on your sleeve. If you were the victim of a crime, you might decide that you are a perpetual victim. But the truth is you can influence yourself and change yourself if you seek out the right input. And then he goes into talking about hypnosis and a lot of other like analogies. So, uh, obviously, there's the issue of racism in the in the office, and I think they try to use that as a way to. Um, I don't even know if I want to say address it because you still have this guy. We just had trial week, and you have black people from the other building coming over to help this white guy. Uh, not qualified. They they keep helping him out. Like I said, he had to go to multiple trainings, doesn't retain information, helping out other white people uh, go from department to department. And they're facing a lot of um, customer, I guess, complaints from attorneys and things like that because of the probate areas not functioning correctly and the juvenile area. So, it's going to be interesting to see where it ends up going because a lot of these white people are being frustrated and <laughs> they are, you know, they try to make it look like the black person can make the decision, but, you know, he can't. Uh, but other than that, that's all I have to say for now. Thanks for allowing me to speak. This is trying to make it seem like the black person can make the decision now that's laughable I wouldn't care they were talking about President Obama uh, Jacob Zuma uh, Vice President uh, Kamala Harris 
Madiba way back when. Uh, name somebody. Name somebody. Who's president of the NAACP right now? I can't even think of who they. Is it a black person? They had some white people. Anyway, I, that that's goofy. Like under any circumstances, that some black person is gone. Like something that's serious, and it's gonna be their decision about what happens. Like you gotta be joking. I, Magic Johnson doesn't have all the say so at the commanders. That did give me a moment of great pause. I said I was never gonna call the Washington Redskins anything but that. Magic Flippin' Johnson is co-owner of the Washington Football Team now. I said, dang, that. I don't know if Magic said, look here, brother Gush, you cannot call them the Redskins. I'm on the team now, co-owner. I do not call them the Redskins. That is not their name. What I'm saying to Magic, like, dang, uh, uh, I had reasons, but dang, for normally a black person, that would be enough. Like, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't. That's not the name anymore. Shouldn't call them Redskins. Not the team that you paid for. Got it. I'm going to have to give that pause, though. Anyway, uh, but I don't think Magic Johnson is the person who is most in charge for the Redskins formerly known as Redskins franchise. Anyway, uh, back down in Florida, um, we had way back when Dr. Jane Hill, white woman, as a guest on the program, she wrote a book called The Everyday Language of Racism. In that book, she talks about exactly what he mentioned, where white people love to go and repeat somebody saying some sort of racist slur or racist joke or what that's why they go and uh redo the Chris Rock joke about black people versus negras and all that and say, Oh, let me tell you about old Habib running for president. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's in the new I did that's I didn't say I didn't say he was Habib. I didn't say that at all now. Wait a minute now. I'm not a racist. Wait a minute now. Uh, I'm just it was in the news that, you know, they called one of the presidential candidates Habib and I thought that was something that we should discuss. Yes, but I'm, I'm not a racist. I've never said a beat. Like, she has a whole section talking about that exactly, where that is so kind. They will have a little bit of giddiness. Like, I can say Habib and no one will get me. <laughs> come on. Come on. And they will do this all the time. It'll be somebody was Negro. It'll be a long list of me having been in school frequently. Say, you know, see, it would be wrong of you to call him a spear chucker or a coon. I myself never say coon or spear chucker because that would be racist. I'm not a racist, but people do say spear chucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The decorate. Now, I just said now we're reading old Jeff Dahmer. Tis the season of racist man, racist woman. Don't be confused about white Jesus and all that. The candy canes and the turkey for Thanksgiving and all that nonsense because it's just that nonsense the holiday of the system of white supremacy is days away I'm just on the time and energy of it all I thought that's supposed to be important for the workplace but maybe I'm you know ignorant efficiency and all that having a work environment we got all these things to do and you got all these shortages and then you got people talking about we got behind from the COVID and all that now we got to go around and do inspections on the Halloween decorations. Up, oh, we got to complain about this one. Say so it looks like a Klansman. Got to take that one down. Up, oh, got to take this one down too. So looks like we got somebody lynched. Uh, yeah, we got to take that one down. It's not accepted. Like, is this necessary? I said, I said, 
don't even have a candy dish. Not giving out Tootsie Rolls, Snicker Bars, we good. Somebody slip some old THC candy in your dish, then you don't know what's going on, we good. They can't even just do that. Nah, nah, nah. We got to slip in old Klansmen here and black. Like, what is all this? Customers got to be coming in. You got Klansmen. I don't even feel welcome anymore. What happened to the old pumpkin? They don't do that anymore. The season of racist man. That's why I said I don't do no eating. I don't want no candy. None of that. This is your holiday. I'm cool. This would be another one. I'd prefer if you don't even put no decorations up around my area. I don't need no cobwebs. I don't need to waste food. No jack-o'-lanterns. Nada. Uh, the, and he even said that they, they got to waste time because you get people, clients, customers, whomever else coming in and say, man, you got Klansmen in the courthouse? All these little gnomes and things with the pointy clan hat on and such? And they say, take it down. Yeah. Jody put a lot of time into that. We'll let it stay up for at least a day. Then we'll, we'll take it down. If it was a life-size figurine of Ben Crump up there, it would have been down in five minutes. Uh, let's see. The We got more of the exclusions. We had the black female. He said worked there for 19 years. They just make it, you know, foundation. Make sure she is excluded from anything constructive we find a way we find a reason nah. all our old white homies and friends down with the warden hung out with us over sometime we'll find a way to get them foot in the door as they say get them a job get them a promotion move them right on up the ladder go let other black people yeah, yeah. that's why they got the old text messages do the unjust networking he said they got the uh white fella said he came in said it was uh junk oh and i forgot the one with the halloween he said they had the uh they were doing the crow noises oh i love it he said i think before they had the newsletter where they had the the crows in there where even the black female said what they got all this there's all this crow and remind me of jim crow what i don't understand or maybe I do understand. They're just trying to be slick and racist, talking about the crow. And they, I've never even heard that before, being truthful. Now, I'm not all into Halloween like that, so maybe I just don't know. They opened a uh, Halloween specialty uh, shop a few blocks away from the UW campus. I've driven by it many times, but I've never been inside. It's right off Roosevelt. Maybe I'll go in. It's next to Trader Joe's. I can go get me some vittles, and then I can go in and see. Maybe they got the, the crow machine. It calls or whatever. What's the sound that they do? Maybe it does all that, but I mean, and he said she can go get the black. Hey, same way that the white woman, she went to go ask all the black people about her uh, fam U shirt. So you get them all riled up. Don't you want to support your HBCU <laughs> brethren? See, and she gonna go around and say, "Hey, black sister, uh, what do you think? This is it's a crow, isn't it? They got the crow. What, what you think about that?" Like, hmm. Hmm. I don't like I said. I don't know what that has to do with Halloween anyway. I thought Edgar Allan Poe did the Raven. That is not a crow, but maybe you know, nigger birds is all the same thing. Crows and ravens and niggers and you know whatever. Uh, now the junk in, junk out. Said from the white man. Said you can go around thinking yourself as some sort of perpetual victim. See about what you put in your brain computer say you got to put correct information in and then you'll have a wealth of thoughts 
how you move through the world, see, opposed to going around and just being a victim all the time, see. Mm-hmm. That's, that's maybe we should think on that now. Once he got off into all the hypnosis and stuff, like, ooh, that seemed kind of expensive. I don't know, have you anybody done hypnosis before? Like, man, do they just give that out to all the employees? You go get a free session of hypnosis and they'll give you some things to think about, unlock your hidden potential of your brain computer? Like, wow. That's, that's even another one where I said, think like, why are you talking about this here? to us. Did you wander to the segregated section to tell us about the power of junk in and junk out? Make sure that we, you know, are putting nourishing thoughts into our brain computer? Like, hmm. How interesting and how off topic for the courthouse. Like, man, you don't have nothing to file. Make sure the panic button is in working order. Got our plan down in case they come to the courthouse and get ruly, unruly. Hmm. Right, we'll make sure we don't think of ourselves as perpetual victims, whatever that means. Anywho, uh, much obliged our caller at the courthouse. Uh, number again, 605-313-5164, the code 564 three pound press star six one if you would like to participate any other folks with suggestions comments either their own or what they have heard uh, this evening uh, let us know I'll double check the email again until justice at gmail dot com uh, any other suggestions observations folks want to make sure they share Hello? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Oh, just one thing. It was was kind of funny at work. I used to um, have this one white girl who used to always call me, uh, uh, hey, girl. You know, I I didn't didn't like that coming from a white person. I kind of found it kind of like um, like she was talking down to me, almost like people calling a a black man a boy. I'm a full-grown woman. And I've been... I would try to correct all the time and tell her, you know, I prefer to be called by my actual name. And so, but she would not. So what I finally did, I said, you know what, I'm going to use how everybody likes so they say, like, jump on the black bandwagon and use certain things that were developed for us. They use it for themselves. So all this trans stuff is going on. So I said, you know what, they got signs all over, all over my job saying, call people by their preferred pronoun. So I told her, I said, this is a woman from, like, Poland or something. I said, um, my pronoun is, I said my name. After that, she never called me girl again. In fact, she never spoke to me really again uh, to address me anyway. It was just even better. So that's all I have to say. Love it. Love it. That that right there anytime where you have to be repeating over and over I would just like to be called by my name this is not you know some Herculean request I'm not that you got to call me the black queen creator of the galaxy come on I didn't say all that just 
call me by my name. And it's... And the same thing, hey girl. I mean, not really. If we were friends, we hang out, that sort of thing. You've been to my house, I've been to your house. We make sweet potato pie together. Like, oh, okay, mate. But I mean, that is not what this is at all. That she's not, hey woman. Gina, hey lady. Nah, 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 nah. It's, hey girl. Come on now. You can call me by my name. Just easy request simple not asking a whole lot and particularly if you said this doesn't happen to any other employee everybody else call them by their name they don't have to ask two three four twenty times for you to do this yep yep that's about the size of it that it even sounds like that kind of uh slangy type of a thing uh, that sometimes people use what they would say, oh, that's kind of a, you know, kind of a, a Negro slang way of, of greeting. Hey, girl, what's good? Like, eh, eh, eh. Just my name every time. And the fact that she stopped speaking afterwards, that just further lets me know how tacky all of this is and saturated with racism because that's how I see you. You all are just little little gals and boys. That's all. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how how competent you are, how well educated you are. What a great work! All of that is irrelevant. You little nigger boys and little nigger gals. That's all. That's how that is. Hey, gal, nigger gal. That's what I'm thinking. Then you have the audacity to get sassy, say something. Don't talk to this nigger woman at all. Which is a plus. Great. Now we don't have to go through this whole tacky charade. I don't have to keep reminding you. Can you just my name? Thank you. Thank you. Doesn't get any better than tacky in the workplace. And I always think it's great to have black self-respect. One, when we better understand racism, white supremacy, and grasp the incorrectness of these type of things, because I think for many times we don't even grasp for a lot of us we don't even grasp the incorrectness and and what's racist about referring to you as a girl boy not referring to you as your name even after you've requested repeatedly that they do so always great to to grasp that not have that confusion and then to have the black self-respect to speak up and just ask question lane can you please refer to me as my name we got the pronoun pronoun signs plastered everywhere. My pronoun is my name. Now we're good. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Ah, uh, let's see. Any anybody else commentary? Make sure they uh, get in. Let's see. Uh, other folks that we missed totally. You have a hand up. Line should be open. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, greetings, Gus. Greetings to the calls and listeners. Um, I'm actually off early tonight, so I can actually call for workplace racism. Um, just something that happened earlier in the week. <clears throat> Over the summer, um, they have the um, softball league. You know, they ask the employees if they want to join. I always say no. Um, so there was two, two, one employee and one manager. They're walking down the hallway, and I heard them talking about, you know, just 
about like they do a lot of um offline betting stuff like that for sports. And so they were talking about the softball. So, you know, I don't participate. So I was like, hey, um, how did softball go this year? And um sorry. <clears throat> I asked how softball went. And uh they were like, Oh, you know, we didn't do it. And the other employee, uh non white male, he walks off and so the white manager is sitting there, he's like, um, yeah, um, he puts like he puts his head in his hand. He's like, yeah, um, so, you know, I registered, you know, with the groups, you know, that, you know, participate, you know, the other groups that participate in the softball league, which is all like restaurants and bars, stuff like that, industry people. And he said, I joined their WhatsApp group. And he said, you know, a couple of the guys responded back to me. And he sits there and he shakes his head. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, what could he be possibly going to say? And he's like, man, you know, he's like, all these white guys just start making all these racist jokes, you know, just, you know, you know, are the, you know, are the monkeys going to be playing with us this year? And he's like, man, I, I, I just don't get it. He's like, you know, they don't even know me. He's like, you know, they don't, he's like, they don't even know if anybody's on this group is black or white. He's like, man, you know, they, oh, I'm like, man, it well, he kind of sounds like, you know, they assume, you know, that if you're on here, you're going to be racist, maybe, huh? He's like, yeah, man, I, yeah, I guess so. He's like, oh, I really wanted to play ball. You know, he's, he's, he always wants to act like, you know, he's not part of, you know, every other white person. But I just um, thought I'd share that. Thank you for your time, sir. Love it. I love it. Uh, mm, mm, mm. That's wild that the, the racist jokes that foiled the whole season like dang like oh man mm, mm, mm. I I was waiting but yeah that even that now we all that talk about uh, inclusion we started the broadcast where I told you um, make sure I get the uh, Robert Livingston I gave you his credentials and everything his book the conversation where he said the over people overwhelmingly he was talking about this part of the world, the U.S., overwhelmingly supports so-called uh, justice, diversity, inclusion, equity. That's not even true out on the softball softball field. And that's not even serious. That's what they call recreational activity. Generally, that's not for any money. You don't get a job. That's just horsing around for a few hours in the summertime. And even there, ain't no overwhelming support for inclusion. And that's Dr. Uh, Kirsten Hextrom's book, by the way, about recreational activities and how white people hoard all of the resources. That's what she talked about. But it's not no, oh, yes, we all want to come together in the melting pot of sports. Oh, God. The Negroes are going to come and ruin the softball tournament. Oh, God. We got more punch monkeys. Ugh. And we get and we get basketball for Leroy and them. Can we do something? Get them another team or something? Oh, uh and he said, he said, these aren't white people, homeless, one tooth, dropped out of school, no education. No, no, no. Other businesses, entrepreneurs, well-to-do white people who think this way. We don't even want to play softball with these niggers. Much less hire them for a job. Mm. 
always love it. Uh, get us that as he that right there. That's what I don't want to do. Any of the workplace extracurriculars? Like I'm cool. I'm cool. I'll root you all on. You can tell me how the team performs and all that. But I'm 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 cool. Fascinating. He can even come back and and report that when unedited. It's just oh oh my god. Oh. Didn't know what to say. Oh. Never heard any of that before. Oh, no. Oh, no. I never. Mm, mm, mm. Any hoodles. Much obliged, good sir. Uh, other folks, uh, comments, racist jokes, suggestions uh, they would like to share. If nobody else is, can I say something else? I, I just, re- I wanted to say this, but I kept forgetting. And it was just, it was. It just something that frustrated me at the time, and it has to do with uh, white people's dedication to racism. Uh, we, uh, like I said, the hospital I'm working for, they were in scandal a couple years ago, so now they're all in this Black Lives Matter, you know. And I'm only saying it that way because I know they don't really mean it, but they're just doing that because it looks good. Anyways, so we had to do a, um, some type of a little module at, at work, and in the, mo- in the little uh, vin- the video clip, they said that um, racism is subconscious. And so after this thing, uh, we had we can we could write comments and I wrote that um uh, I don't think that um, anything shown in the video is subconscious. I think it's intentional. Um and and I said I probably shouldn't have said this because they claim these things are anonymous, but I heard uh, they're they're not really. Anyways, then I so comment also put it's not. I don't think that anything shown here was subconscious. It was intentional, and I believe that it's being called subconscious because whoever uh, created these video clips might be part of a community that has a high rate of racism. Do you know the next time they gave us this this uh, little video to watch in order we like when we watch the video we just have to answer questions in order to go on to the next video clip we had to put that racism was subconscious because you get um like you you'll be like a yes or a no then you have to press yes to go on that was the next time so i said okay they're serious about lying about racism and they're reading the comments and they don't like it so that was just that was just kind of creepy. Unless that was a coincidence, but I don't think so because the first time we did not have to say that we did not have to say, say that racism is subconscious in order to go to the on uh, in the you know in order to progress in the whatever the module we were doing. They made it that way the second time that we took it. So yeah, that's all I have to say. nothing coincidental about white supremacy racism and that is one of their like enormous Mount Everest lies that white people are ignorant unconscious about white supremacy racism that's why we got all that implicit bias and all the rest of it you can't be sitting around oh my god we got too many of these coons on the soccer team that sounds pretty conscious to me just saying Anywho, uh, and we've had other folks where they have those various um, surveys 
uh, if they have some sort of training exercise, sometimes they'll have an evaluation after the training at work, or sometimes they'll just have a general uh, survey for the employees to evaluate the workplace. We've had a number of folks who, especially with all the technology that they have in this age, they are super suspicious of any of those forms where it says, oh, no, this is anonymous. You know, we don't we don't know who it is. And I, whatever uh, who've said, if they fill out those forms, uh, they already are thinking that they have some way of tracking this back to who this is and or they don't fill them out at all uh, because they already, you know, their conclusion is that they have figured out some way uh, code or whatever to match this back to the employee. So I would be very cautious uh, about uh, when they say that, like, oh, it's going to be anonymous and all that. Mm. Especially if it deals with anything race related, like, oh, man, I would not believe that at all. Anywho, uh, folks, satisfy anything else that they need to uh, make sure they share, get in before we wrap up? Yes, sir, Gus. Yes, sir. Um, just because you mentioned um, racist jokes, um, something was shared with me earlier um, in a um, group chat in a book club. Um, this is classified as a racist joke. Uh, racist classified these inside jokes, I suspect. Um, the question is, what space movie came out in 1992? Um, I just learned about this today. Apparently, this has been going on since 1992. Um, when you search these words in Google, <clears throat> it takes you to a film known as a black exploitation film. Um, so I'll, I'll just say, um, if anyone's interested, uh, just search what space movie came out in 1992. Um, immediately, I thought of when you say in your definition, white people are dedicated. Um, I think this search and what and what the search results yield is why a lot, most white people tense up and want to deny and deflect from your definition when you say dedicated. Um, this is dedica extreme dedication. Um, I thought of Ernest Teitelman after the book review of Shaft, understanding the entire idea behind that. Um, I would just say check this search out. Thank you for your time, sir. Well, Ernest Tidyman, remember that one? Woo! White man writes a book called Shaft. I was just, and I didn't say that movie. I don't think I mentioned it, but we did all that homoerotic broadcasting right before I got sick. So we went to Brazil, South Africa, and all of that. And we went to South Africa. We had uh, Dr. Louise de Tote. She was with us uh, earlier this week, live from Joburg. Uh, and she said she talked about the homoeroticism in the South African mining shafts. I thought of it then because it was the same thing. And she even made a point. Both of us, we had Dr. Uh, Alkoff, excuse me, Dr. Falkoff. She said also a uh, South African scholar and native she talked about the same thing about how the Negro homosexual activity did not disrupt the system of white supremacy at all. Of course we would encourage that. That doesn't disrupt white power 
at all. Might even keep them away from our softball game. Anywho, racist jokes. That is always where white people are telling the truth. Uh, We will be here uh, tomorrow. Uh, Let's see. Normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Oh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific will be your compensatory call in. Catch up on what has gone down over the past seven days or so. Much obliged for folks tuning in. Hope it was worthy of your Friday evening. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy. We will need high functioning brain computers to solve this problem. In addition to being sober, creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. No name calling. No gossiping. No throwaway offspring. Brussels sprouts are not like black people. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Uh Even my conditioning has been conditioned. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud. Fuel innovation with responsible AI and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.